Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky, and Ruth's name is Ruth, and it is finally time for the second annual Pulpy Movie Awards. Yay. Uh, it's it's exciting stuff. I always I always look forward to these. I, last year, I did the Movie Awards first and then the Music Awards, because that's the order that I do like my like year-end lists in. I feel like I'm more invested in like the album list, but I'm more invested in the Movie Awards, so I flip the order this time. <laughs> I feel like that makes sense. Yeah, music awards are kind of dumb, because at a certain point, <laughs> it's just like, I guess, more genres. Like, there's only so many things to talk about with, like, songs and albums. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we have a lot of categories to get through, so uh, we're not going to waste uh, any time here. We're going to start with some of these some of these brand new categories. How many categories did you, like, make uh, stuff for? I literally, I just said that I wouldn't leave anything out and keep my head straight i listed like nominees and stuff but nothing's been won or anything yet yeah what i do with these is i always choose the winners on the spot yeah that, that's that's the luxury of, of having awards that are that are just yours so let's get into it we're going to start and and just you know get it out of the way this is how i like to do things in general we're gonna do worst picture first yeah <laughs> okay so my five nominees for worst picture are Blonde, Jurassic World Dominion, Morbius, Thor Love and Thunder, and The Whale. All of those I have not seen for the specific reason that I knew (laughs) that I wouldn't enjoy them. And so I just avoided them. (laughs) Great stuff. I, you know, there was really, it was really like these and like a couple other movies like um, The 355, uh, Macabrita, um, They Slash Them was one I considered. But with these, with these five uh it was just like you know they're all movies that i just walked out you know completely completely negative on and i never really thought i would have to choose you know which one of them was the worst (laughs) but um the thing is with the whale it's like you've got this fundamentally bad movie with this incredible uh brendan fraser performance at the core and you sort of have the same thing with blonde but it's also like the score is really good. The cinematography is really good. So even though that movie is kind of insufferable, there there are reasons to to not uh, give it up for it. I feel like it's between Thor: Love and Thunder. We did the whole episode on, and that's a really bad movie. Um, <laughs> but I do think I'm going to give it to Jurassic World Dominion, just because there's like the 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 least to be happy about with that one because morbius i just feel like it you know there's nothing significant about me saying i don't like morbius (laughs) but uh with 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 love and thunder it's like you know none of it works but there are like visuals and performers who would work if 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 everything fell into place dominion is just like the the end of a franchise that shouldn't exist to begin with (laughs) I was so disappointed when the bad reviews for that started coming in because I really liked the last one before that. It surprised yeah. me. And then the yeah. reviews came in for this one. I was like, oh, I'm not even going to go see it. It, it definitely uh, has it, – it, it continues the story from the previous one but has nothing in common with it otherwise. <laughs> that's yeah. the thing with all these movies though. Like like with the Jurassic World, not to get on too much of a tangent. I mean there's going to be a lot of tangents. That's just yeah, how this yeah, works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But – Chris Pratt and and especially Bryce Dallas Howard are playing completely different characters in each movie. 
like like Bryce Dallas Howard just complete there, there's like it's like they're the first movie they were like we haven't really figured this character out and so she's just something different in the second one and then they're like we and then they just make her something different again in the third one at that point just come up with new characters just make a yeah. new Jurassic Park movie with completely new characters every time and if it and if it was really like the same cast playing new characters I'd be like that's kind of weird and interesting but yeah. it's, they're just pretending that there's continuity from one movie to the next. Yeah, you gotta go full American Horror Story with it. And just yes. be like, we don't feel like hiring new people, but we also want to do something new. My nominees for Worst Picture are Moonfall, Bay Slash Them, and Bullet Train. Mm. Uh, I liked Moonfall, okay? <laughs> Moonfall, I went back and I reread my review for it, and it's it's one of those movies that's so stupid and mm. like so bad that mm. I kind of love. Like, I had a great time, but I don't think I'll ever return to it. Like, it was fun in the moment to be like, what in the fuck is happening? But, (laughs) like, I, like, it's not one that's bad enough in a good, like, it's not one that I won't feel like returning to at any point. Like, I saw it, it's done. And we talked about Bay Slash Them extensively. We sure did. (laughs) And it mostly, I don't know, I feel like the thing between Bay Slash Them and Bullet Train is that they both made me mad. Like, they just both made me angry. Because mm-hmm. Bullet Train is such a Guy Ritchie ripoff, and I hated the main character, and it's just, like, it was so MCU-ified, just, like, this, like, like pithy, annoying action film that I hate. Mm-hmm. But, like, it looked pretty, and there were some performances in it that I loved. I think Moonfall has to be the winner for this one. Okay. Like, I enjoyed it, but... It was a really, really bad movie, and it's not one that I could see myself rewatching. And I could rewatch either of these other ones. Sure. Well, as you said, with 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 my nominees, it was like there's a specific kind of of bad movie that you will see, and there, are, yeah. you know, kinds of bad movies where you just won't, you know, you won't touch it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, because I go to movies every week, I will often just, you know, I, I think there are points where it's just like. I'm not appreciating these movies enough. I need to see something bad to, like, reset myself. <laughs> yeah. That's so real. If I watch too many, like, five-star movies in a row, it's like, I have to go find some low-budget B-movie from the 80s and, like, exactly. cleanse my palate. Uh, best theatrical experience. Okay. Uh, this was a, an interesting one to narrow down. I feel like there were, um, y- you know, some that maybe should have been on here and I just kind of forgot it, but I was thinking about, you know, movies that I saw in a theater with a strong crowd that was energized. And there's such a thing as like a bad crowd experience, like, like, like Spider-Man No Way Home. I feel like if I had seen that in an empty theater, I, I would have appreciated the movie more <laughs> than seeing it, you know, in a, in a packed theater. Um, but my five nominees are Everything Everywhere All at Once, Glass Onion, Nope, Pearl and the Woman King. Nice. Yeah, these are just the uh, the five movies that I saw with like a strong crowd that was you know um, invested the whole time. Everything everywhere I feel like is definitely the first movie I've seen since the pandemic where like people were laughing consistently throughout the whole movie. Um, Glass Onion had that added urgency of like Netflix doesn't want to make any money off of this, so. Yeah. We, 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 you know, we were sort of in there, like, this is our one chance to enjoy this movie. Um, nope is, is just a great big screen kind of thing, you know, obviously has, has that very big sort of cinematography that there's big landscapes. Um, Pearl, just everyone was really glued to the screen and, you know, 
Uh, it's funny because we got there, me and my friend got there super early, and there was like a kid screaming, and we were like, "You you didn't bring a kid to Pearl." <laughs> but like w- w- once the movie started, it didn't matter. Like like it yeah. was just it was just that engaging. And uh, Woman King, just it, you know, I mean, Gina Prince Bythewood is so good at making these like crowd pleasing dramas, and Woman King had like so so many great like there were laughs and there were cheer moments, and they you know people clapped at the end. Um, just yeah, that's just like classic like Gina Prince Bythewood filmmaking right there. I do think I'm going to give this to Everything Everywhere. Yeah. Uh, partially just because I think it's going to get a little snubbed in some of the bigger categories, so I do yeah. want to give it something. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned uh, Spider-Man, because the first time that I saw that was, like, opening weekend packed theater. Mm-hmm. It was just, that was one of the first times in a while that I w- was, like, missing dialogue, because the audience mm-hmm. was so obnoxiously loud and, like, cheering. Yeah. Yeah, and that, like, it, my experience was they were just, like, pointing out shit that they recognized. Like, <laughs> like... Like Jamie Foxx, you know, TikTok. They were just just anything that, that that they saw that was familiar to them. They're just like fucking babies with the with the you know Fisher Price like speaking spell thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's the uh, the great bit that Red Letter Media does about Rogue One, where it's just like that whole movie is just us pointing. Oh, it's an X-wing. Oh, it's the dude from the other one. You know, yeah, just very much what all the Star Wars movies were for a while there, still are. I don't know. I haven't seen a Star Wars movie in ages. Sure. Well, they they kind of stopped making them, which is yeah. Which is JJ Abrams drove to the ground, and I love, love it. to see it. Love to Thank see it. Thank you. Have your TV shows. I don't care. I don't have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. My nominees for this category are Downton Abbey two, Downton Abbey: A New Era, right? Uh, Avatar two, Nope, and then I added two of because I go to repertory screenings all the time. So I also saw Smokey and the Bandit and Singing in the Rain in theaters. Yeah. Year. I thought about I thought about the rap screenings because those are most of the ones that I have in my um, new to me films category, but yeah. I, I decided to make a distinction there. Maybe I maybe it was not a necessary distinction, but yeah. I don't see enough. I go to so many repertory screenings and not mm-hmm. enough new movie screenings um, that I just I wouldn't have enough movies. Um, I haven't I haven't seen Smokey and the Bandit, but me and my dad have like a very extensive ongoing bit. About just mentioning Smokey and the Bandit and asking um, about movies, you know, like whether they are inspired by Smokey and the Bandit or ripoffs of Smokey. Like, like, like it just yeah. always comes back to it somehow. It's a great movie. It's one that my dad loved and then I watched it because he wanted to watch it. And it was so much fun in theaters because it was like, you know, I always go to the middle of the day matinee repertory screenings mm-hmm. and... There was like a whole bunch of people in the audience who were just quoting along and like singing along with the music. It was just like everyone was so excited and really invested in this like really funny movie. And it's so yeah. fun on the big screen. That was definitely fantastic. And the same thing with Singing in the Rain, where it's just like seeing it on the big screen. Oh, yeah. But then Ben Mankwitz's stupid face cuts in right after the movie ends <laughs> and kills the energy completely. It's so my biggest problem with those screenings is that they just cut to him and his stupid gray apartment set, like right after this like beautiful Technicolor moment. Uh, nope was like you said, it was just it was big. It was one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in theaters, and so mm. it was really fun to get that experience of like, oh my god, like curled up in my seat, freaked out. Mm. Avatar two, it's big, it's three D. It was a packed audience. 
But the guy next to me scoffed every time they said bro. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a, a, like a, he clearly did not enjoy this movie. But I just love getting to see big 3D movies on the screen. Totally. But I think I have to give it to Downton Abbey too. Uh, because it was so much fun to see that opening night with a, like, it was like a halfway filled house. And we were all so excited to be there. And we were laughing at every joke and like gasping at every twist. And we like that. There was such an energy in the theater, but like, it wasn't that like annoying MCU. We're like screaming constantly sort of a, and there was no, it was really high energy without any of the annoying things that bug me. <laughs> so down Abbey 2 is definitely like one of my best, like it, it's my favorite theatrical experience of the year for sure. The other fun thing about um, Smokey and the Bandit, just to uh, touch on it for a second, is Absolutely. that like the 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 two big hits that year, that that summer in '77 were Star Wars and Smokey and the Bandit, and they were like they were like one and two all summer long. Hell yeah! It's it's crazy to think about now. Bring back Burt Reynolds and like that era, that type. Of yeah, let's resurrect movie. him. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the new-to-me films, these are all films that I did see at repertory screenings um, for the first time in 2022. Um, you know, I, I've I've seen a lot of movies, but there are also a lot of things that I haven't actually gotten around to yet. But the uh, the five big ones, my five favorites from last year, and this might be incomplete because I haven't wasn't keeping track last year, were The Apartment, But I'm a Cheerleader, Ishtar, Love and Basketball, and Mishima. So many good ones in there. I love The Apartment. Like, Billy Wilder is one of my favorite directors ever. The Apartment is so great. Um, just just a, a really engaging film. Um, you know, some, some, some subtly, like, interesting stuff going on, but it's not, like, one of these films that's, that's just, like, really off the wall and you know doing all this crazy shit you wouldn't expect like it is it is this sort of sturdy kind of drama comedy but just so there's just something so perfect about it yeah um i think you know i could touch on all these love and basketball again gina prince vithwood just knocking it out of the park mishima i haven't seen a lot of the schrader movies but uh mishima is just great just you know love love this this four-part structure and the different styles that are in each 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 chapter but i'm a cheerleader uh really funny really (laughs) just a really great movie and you know it's hard with um a lot of these sort of cult classic movies have this reputation for like you know having a camp factor and people even when people say they like it they don't assess it as seriously but but i'm a cheerleader is a really great comedy yeah but my winner is ishtar which is uh yes one of my favorite films um i am i it's inspired me in so many ways i actually went to two rep screenings both of which i traveled for um in, in, in just in this year to to see it um after hearing the blank check episode about it and just being like i gotta see this uh yeah just just a favorite of mine i still need to see it we've talked about this how i need to see this movie and i know when i see it i will it'll it'll i'll have many thoughts i'm sure <laughs> we'll do an episode on ishtar that'd be great literally that'd be fun yeah um, I had, I started writing down nominees for this one and then I just ran out of space and said, 
screw it. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, the vast majority of what I watch is older movies. I, I try and get to the movie, see something new every week, but, like, it doesn't always happen. Sure. Um, but the few that I want to name of the things I did see were Oscar, um, the Sylvester Stallone movie that I am obsessed with, and I am astounded that it flopped when it came out because it is brilliant. And one of the best, like, homages to that um to like a screwball comedy that i've seen in like a like in, in the 90s with sylvester stallone it's amazing super recommend oscar um and i loved a simple plan which is a sam raimi movie i actually watched it on vhs it was fantastic i watched police story for the first time classic you can't beat jackie chan and i watched life force the toby hooper canon movie which mm. was amazing like the effects in that movie because I just did a big canon watch at one point this year. And it was one of those movies where I sat down and I was like, oh, this will be fun. And then it was like super trans. <laughs> and like the allegories and the language and everything. I was like, oh god, this one's changing me. Um, but the thing that definitely like won my year was Overboard. Starring Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Because oh, yeah. I watched it. And then like 24 hours later, I watched it again. And then 24 hours later, I watched it again. And then I watched it a fourth time later in like a week. I saw this movie four times because it so totally capitalized my brain and I'm obsessed with it. So that's definitely like of all the things I saw this year that were like brand new to me, Overboard won wholeheartedly. Gotta love love that that Curtin Goldie. I was just listening to a podcast about um, uh, Swing Shift, which I haven't seen, but the, the story with that is that like the theatrical version and the director's cut are like completely different movies and the director's cut is like this this masterpiece and the the, the theatrical cut completely doesn't work uh next up is best cinematography we're getting into the uh the the big awards here mm-hmm. my um five nominees are ambulance uh roberto de angelis the batman greg fraser decision to leave kim ji young pearl elliot rocket and Elvis Mandy Walker. This was kind of a tough category. Uh, I mean, a lot of these were, but yeah. um, really, I think the last one I got rid of, I was between whether I should give it to Ambulance or Top Gun Maverick, both of which have this uh, sort of innovative uh, action photography going on but uh, it's not just that I think that Ambulance is a better movie, but also I think the the drone shots in ambulance are just like mind-blowing like they're 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 shit that should really be studied in film schools and um just just a new new heights for for michael bay who it's crazy to say about michael bay that he's finally been let loose but (laughs) (laughs) ambulance is on another level um the batman definitely had some of these like just unforgettable uh just, just the visual language of it is is you know i i think even more memorable than like than than the nolan movies or yeah anything since the i mean the schumacher movies also have this very memorable language to them but uh, but you know definitely this is just great visuals in that film um pearl very you know lots of like these these big bright kind of uh technicolor uh visuals going on i think you know things feel very like spacious and there's also like a lot of great use of um close-ups as well i think you know 
it, it, just another movie that's just like visually unforgettable and then elvis it's like a little harder to pin down because there's so much editing yeah. but <laughs> the b- but i think it's one of the best looking films in recent memory um and a lot of that is you know the the, the colors and the grain and the costumes and all that but i also do think that like there's a real movement to it that you know uh, uh comes from the the cinematography i and then there's decision to leave which ha- has some really incredible it's it's you know a as i said before it's something of an unassuming film by by park chan wook standards but like there's some really crazy stuff with how it uses like phone screens and monitors to like frame shots and get these like you know we'll be looking at a screen that's you know two two camera setups and it's how we get like both sides of a conversation at the same time uh and like it's it's gonna go to decision to leave for me, I think, just because you know uh some 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 shots that I've like never seen before, and I guess you could also say that about ambulance, but um yeah, I'm getting into decision to leave just how I'm feeling, yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but <clears throat> there's something about drone shots that like I remember the first time I saw like a really good drone shot it was like my first year of college. And I was blown away. Like, there's something about it that's specifically magical. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And the the ones in ambulance are just on another level. Like going like in and out of buildings and like <laughs> like like from way up high. To, it's incredible. Fantastic. I the fact that I still haven't seen ambulance like kills me. Like that was one of the movies this year that I was most excited about, and then I completely missed it in theaters. And it it just haunts me at this point. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really good. <laughs> My nominees are... I also nominated Elvis and the Batman for many of the reasons you already said. They're both just... I don't know. They both just look like really good movies. They're movies yeah. that I want to look at. Yeah. And like, I want think, to continue you know, looking at. There's all this stuff with, like, digital photography and, like, you know, the, the, the sort of color correction stuff that Marvel does. And, like, there's the, just a lot of recent trends that lead to worse-looking movies. Uh, the Batman and uh, Elvis are two great examples of movies from this year that are just, like, stunning to look at. Yeah. You don't need some, like, Tumblr gift maker to make the movie look good. It already looks yeah. like that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also nominated... Well, I after that, I was sort of like, okay, what other movies looked amazing this year? Um, I really, really liked the cinematography in Black Phone. Um, sure. Because it, it captured the, like, 70s... It, like, it felt of an era just in the way it was filmed. And it was done in a really smart, subtle way that... It, like, they weren't beating you over the head with the fact that it was, like, this, like, 70s sort of grainier thing, but it worked really, really well in the movie. Um, I also nominated Marcel the Shell with shoes on, which sure. I nominated that for a lot. That was one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, and it's like very like simple, but it's simple in a way that works and simple in a way that brings the magic of the movie to the forefront, I feel like. And then because I was running out of ideas, I threw Smile on here because I feel like Smile wasn't like the most memorable movie of the year, but the things that I remember about it are more visual than narrative. 
Like mm. there were there were visuals in that movie that stick with me, even though like I forget like who the other character was, like who the dude was, who was like the cop or whatever. I don't really remember, but I can like see like the last few shots of that movie or like there's one the one where it's it was like upside down in a forest and then like spun around. I don't know. There were moments in Smile that I loved visually. Um, ugh. I don't know. I think I'm going to give it to the Batman just yeah. because <laughs> like it's just so good. It looks so good. Yeah. Like, Compared to like so many superhero movies for yeah. years we've had nothing but ugly superhero movies. And from the first, like, it's instantly, like, this, you know, these voyeuristic shots of, like, the, the mayoral candidate getting yeah. killed. It's, like, instantly, like, here's someone who knows how to use a camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it sucks you in immediately. And then it never lets up. And, like, the, it, it's colorful without feeling, like, it, it's dark without feeling black and, like, grayscale, which is the pitfall that, like, Nolan fell into, where it's, like, oh, in order to be dark can't use color it's like no use color but use it smartly you know yeah i feel like nolan's sort of visual language has improved since the dark knight trilogy but he was still kind of doing that like sort of naturalistic thing for those for those films where it's you know and when it's a lot of like dark batman stuff it just you know doesn't produce super engaging shots (laughs) a lot of the time nolan loves cement way too much for Mm -hmm. like for me personally because in all of his movies i feel like there's just so many just like cement and then there's like cool people among the cement yeah oppenheimer looks good though. <laughs> yeah i do keep seeing the trailers for oppenheimer i'll probably see it but i don't know whether i see something really comes down to whether there's anything else i want to see mm-hmm. and i am very often putting the big ones aside for like oh this looks random and fun yeah that's nice that, that's something that i feel like has been lost a little bit, and I think more people should go to movies and see what's playing. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Best comedy. Okay. My five nominees are Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Confess mm. Fletch, Jackass Forever, The Menu, and Not Okay. Um, I think I had Glass Onion on here until the last minute. I swapped it out for Chippendale because I had Glass Onion in a lot of categories. Mm-hmm. But, um,. Yeah, these are just, you know, this was a fairly lackluster year for comedy. I think you had a lot of funny movies, like Everything Everywhere is pretty funny, Glass yeah. Onion's very funny, but in terms of, you know, things that fit neatly into the comedy box and sort of excel as comedies, there there wasn't a lot. And, you know, that that sort of, um, that genre is, is still sort of out. So even even looking at this list of comedies, it's like Chip and Dale is obviously like a like, like a Disney Plus action animated film. Uh, Jackass Forever is a franchise, but also like kind of a documentary. Doesn't really fit into the traditional comedy box. Not okay is sort of a sort of a teen movie, but not really. But that's how it was marketed. The menu is this very you know this I, I think a more unique thing where we could see comedy build in the future where it's just like i i mean obviously mark mylod worked on succession a lot and has that same sort of you know it's it's sort of playing off of the knives out like you know absurd rich people thing i think we could see more of that coming up um uh, confess fletch is like a like a, a real comedy but it's also like this very 
you know, moody kind of jazzy, uh, uh, film that, um, also got like a very limited release and nobody really saw. Um, yeah, I, that, I don't even know that I've heard of it. That film, uh, is, is really great. I love, it just has an energy that I haven't seen anywhere else. It feels like, you know, the first film to like know how to use John Hamm, uh, ever. And <laughs> I, it's just the kind of, I wish there were like a dozen of these like middle brow comedies every year. Um, yeah. but, uh, or I guess I should say kind of a highbrow comedy, but like a middle, a, a mid tempo. Um, and, you know, some great supporting stuff from, like, John Slattery and, uh, and Kyle MacLachlan, uh, just, just a, a really smooth, kind of snazzy, uh, film that I, I definitely want to shout out. Um, at the end of the day, I do feel like I have to think about which of these I thought was funniest, which is tough. Uh... I think I'm going to say, huh? I I uh, I think I'm going to give this one to Not Okay, uh, which which is one of these films. It's sort of it's sort of got this Doctor Strange love thing where it's like there's not as many jokes, but it's just very situationally funny. And uh, you know, I think it escalates in a really fun way. I didn't really know what the ultimate premise was going to be, and so it's you know starts with Zoe Deutsch and she's you know pretending she's going to Paris. And then, you know, it really becomes, there's a lot of really funny stuff in that opening chunk. I think Dylan O'Brien is so funny in this, but (laughs) like, it ultimately builds to, you know, a terror attack happening in Paris and she has to pretend that she was there. Um, (laughs) And again, it's like, it's, it's, you know, not like a, a jokey movie, but just like, I, I I thought the premise was so fun, and I, I I loved the way that things kept escalating. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm gonna give it to. That's one that got, had a whole moment, and then it disappeared, mm-hmm. and I forgot about it, even though it was like every all anyone could talk about for like two seconds. Yeah, good flick. I I got really into Dylan O'Brien this year. He was also really good in um, the outfit, which Zoe Dutch was also in, just uh, and on Curb. But like, yeah, good on you, Dylan O'Brien. And now we'll get a Teen Wolf movie. He'll really have... He's having a whole... It's his rise. Uh, he, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, my nominees are Bros, Marcel the Shell, Weird, the Al Yankovic story, The Menu, and then I Want You Back. Um, sure. I want to throw I Want You Back on there because we get so few really solid rom-coms anymore. Um, and this Bros, too. Like, both of these movies were legitimately funny, legitimately sweet and romantic, and just had like really solid casts, just just making a solid rom-com. Yeah. Which, as soon as people figured out that like Netflix figured out they can make a cheap rom-com and people would watch it, the whole it, like the whole genre went in the bucket. And it yeah. bugs me that we don't get these nice high budget ones. So I really liked both of those. I wish Daniel uh not Daniel, oh my god, Charlie Day got to be in more rom coms. He's so sweet. And so yeah, that was a I feel like I, my, my initial struggle of like, this is just shot like a sitcom, uh, <laughs> never really went away with, uh, with I Want You Back. That is, that is a nice little rom-com, uh, so is Bros, which I definitely considered. Um, I liked Marry Me and The Lost City, which I know are both sort of polarizing movies, but those were two mm-hmm. rom-coms that did well this year too. Um, I do, I do want to see more of them. Yeah. I saw more of the like big budget 90s, which is exactly what they're trying to do in Bros. So I appreciated that totally. I was just like, that's what I want to bring back. 
Let's do it. And Billy Eichner, you're doing, you're great at it. Keep it coming. Um, Great cast in that movie. Yeah. And like you talked about the menu, it, once I saw all the producers at the end and that they also made Succession, I was like, oh, of course. This is why (laughs) it is hilarious and laugh out loud, but also like a horror movie at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) Like the menu was so, I don't know. I still can't, I couldn't get over the line of, um, where did you go to college? Brown. Student debt? No. Yeah, you're gonna die. <laughs> yeah. God, and I just thought, like, Nicholas Holt is so funny. I, I feel like Menu is yeah. a movie that, like, I could look back on, like, I should have given it more stuff on this, but, like, Holt is so funny, like, Rizambo's so funny, um, just, just the whole cast is, it, it, like, yeah, it, it's just, there, there are a lot of treasures to, to yeah. dig up in that movie, I yeah. feel like. Anytime a movie makes me laugh out loud, I'm immediately like, okay, this was funny. Because I feel like a lot of times when I watch comedies, I sort of do a lot of, ha that's, you know, ha um, Yeah, and then Weird, the 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 Weird Al movie. I loved sure. it. I definitely gave it a bunch of shout-outs on this list, partially because I just watched it, so it's on my brain, but also because it was just, like, the smartest biopic since Rocket Man. Though Elvis mm. too. Rocket Man and Elvis are like the two like real biopics, but then Weird Al is it's so smart to be like, if you're gonna make a movie about Weird Al, you have to make a parody of movies. Like, you can't I don't something about the way it was constructed and the whole concept behind it, I just it, I just think it's brilliant. I think I wanna give it to Weird. Okay. Cause it was just really funny. Mm-hmm. And I wanna I don't know. Uh, the men it's like that in the menu though they're right next yeah. to each other because they're both just they both made me laugh out loud i had a great time the my my favorite uh part of weird was the uh the pool party scene yes. where it was like you know the tastemakers of the era hanging out with like wolfman jack and, and tiny tim and oh, yeah. and uh you know all the cameos in that like uh conan as uh as andy warhol i think was my favorite but there were <laughs> Oh yeah, a lot of great stuff in that scene. No, I straight up for under uh, the best cameo category. I just put the party scene from Weird because every time the it would the second that we go to that scene and we see the two guys in Devo hats, like we see Devo, big laugh out of me, and then it just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, really, for biggest laugh that I, a movie this year got out of me, they slash them should have been in comedy as well because I don't know that I have laughed as hard as um like. Well, uh, I, like who's Jason Voorhees? Yeah, kiss. Like that was still one of the funniest things that I, like I ugly laughed at that. A great laugh. <laughs> Best horror. Speaking okay. of, okay, oh, <laughs> this one was so hard for me because so many of my favorite movies this year were horror. My nominees are Bodies, 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 Master, Nope, Pearl, and We're All Going to the World's Fair. Uh, it, horror, I, I, I've sort of complained for a little bit about how horror has become, like, this space for, like, you know, auteurs and people who want to tell original stories to actually get them made and out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, you know, I was, like, fe- feeling like people had to, you know, figure out how to sell things as horror. They had to include, you know, uh, uh, kills and these horror elements to, to, like, even get them made. But, like, I looked at some of the horror from this year, and I think this is sort of an ongoing thing, and just, like, it's become such an expansive category that I really have to be excited about 
the the kind of stuff that's getting made and getting out to people like looking at you know nope which is like this like the this sort of spielbergy adventure that that's you know under the horror umbrella looking at bodies 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 this great teen comedy one of the most like one of the most relevant and funny teen comedies in some time and um pearl which is like this 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 pastiche of like old hollywood melodramas that has, has this very weird sort of sort of world to it um and then on the other end of that you have like the the fact that it's a market where a uh, completely indie word of mouth hit like terrifier 2 can you know build and build and make tens of millions of dollars where, where like this i'm gonna go on a tangent about this here but where a, an experimental film like skinnamarink can get like a, a 700 screen debut and make 750 in a weekend like yeah I, I I mean I don't think there's been that kind of return on like an art film the, the a film that's this experimental since like like Nymphomaniac at least like like it's it's really um a, exciting things are happening in the world of horror uh I my winner is going to be I haven't talked about Master which is just like a not a not a perfect movie but like the the regina hall performance at the center is just so well done and it's got a lot of this humor there's a lot of these you know in in the post get out like uh racial horror comedies and you know so a lot of them don't really work i think there's some really funny and skin crawling stuff in master that does work it's it's at this you know old university and there's this character who's a professor who claims to be black and turns out not to be black and there's there's a lot of um fun stuff in there i am going to give it to we're all going to the world's fair uh which was one of my favorites of the year and just a film that i think speaks to not it, it's not just like jane shotbridge's this new director to watch because she's so skilled but but you know this the the way that it uses the language of like youtube rabbit holes to to you know build horror is like a really exciting sort, sort of new frontier at film and i think we see similar things in like after sun um that you know that the the exciting new directors are people who know how to use this language because clearly i think I, I i think young people clearly want to see stories told visually and the people who can sort of build on this new media language are making really exciting stuff i haven't seen after sun but but world's fair is really good yeah no i literally just watched world's fair earlier today because i was trying to get in more of the movies that i've missed this year in the past week I watched quite a few. I watched Banshees of uh, I watched Banshees with my parents, mm-hmm. and then the next day, my friend was like, "Want to go see EO in the theater?" And I was like, "I can't take any more donkey trauma. We have to go see something <laughs> fun." So we went and saw Megan, which was fantastic. Hell um, yeah, loved Megan. Talking about Another great thing. horror comedies. Talking about great horrors, and yeah, a movie that's just like fully like one of the funniest wide release movies in recent memory. Yeah, Get, that that gets to just be horror. Like yeah. like it's exciting stuff. Yeah, and especially when you, like, that's PG-13 horror, so it's like, it, mm-hmm. it it gets in the horror crowd, but it's also just, I don't know, it's like, doesn't push the horror to such an extent that it pushes away the people who want to enjoy it just for being a comedy, because it is so funny. I don't know, it's like a, I was really impressed with Megan, but that's for next year. That's another year, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my nominees are World's Fair. X and Pearl. I had to nominate both of them because I love them both. Black Phone and Nope. Um, sure. I thought about including the new Hellraiser, 
because I did really, really like it. And I love Hellraiser as a franchise. And the... I'm going to blank on her last name, but Jamie, the new pinhead, does a fantastic job. But I don't know. It didn't stick with me as much as the ones that I did nominate. So it kind of got lumped. Um, I think I have to go with X, just because X is... When I saw it, I went, this is going to be my favorite movie of the year. And then the year kept happening, and I kept being like, yeah, it stands up. It's still X. As, like, a lover of B-movies and, like, slashers and, like, old... It it, it gets at sort of the nitty-gritty, nasty grossness of exploitation cinema in a way that so few films can anymore. And I loved that. And, like, I love Pearl... But I, I I think I prefer X because it, it just speaks to more my flavor of horror. And when it comes to that flavor of horror, we just don't see anything like that anymore. Where it's just, like, nasty. Sure. It's interesting. I think there's, um, uh, you know, obviously it seems like this trilogy is focusing on the relationship between, like, sex and film and exploitation. But X is really the one that, like, also brings, like, the history of horror into it in a, yeah. in a in a very strong way yeah very very interesting films yeah i mean i i i, I really want to see maxine I, i'm excited oh, to see yeah. where, where it goes from here oh yeah and just the audacity to be like we're gonna make this movie and then hey what if we just hung around and made another movie while we're at it like yeah the it just to come out of absolutely nowhere and within a year create like a new beloved horror franchise that takes like that takes a skill and like an ability to invent that is so rare, I feel like. Yeah. And it's a thing from from A24's perspective, it was probably initially just like these things cost like a million bucks a piece, you could just yeah. keep making them if you want. And they found a huge audience. Uh <laughs> and, and now it's like and, and and I especially think like if this trilogy just sort of stands on its own, like it's 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 never gonna stop making money. No. No, <laughs> yeah. it's going to become the new horror franchise that you go to, uh, oh my god, you go to a Spirit Halloween, and you can get all of the things every single year, and then like, in 10 years they'll do a remake, and in 10 years they'll do another remake, like, yeah. I can easily see X becoming, like, the next Halloween, Friday the 13th, like, and just the ability to be set in, like, that, w- alongside those classics you've done something special when you've managed to like tap into that sort of iconic beloved like people just love the movie the best franchise film okay is is a category that uh there were a couple of of tricky ones where it was like i decided that you know chip and dale is a franchise but not really a movie franchise so I, i i didn't count that pinocchio uh, I decided, like, Del Toro Pinocchio doesn't count. Zemeckis Pinocchio does count. <laughs> I obviously did not nominate yeah, Zemeckis yeah. Pinocchio. Yeah. Um, oh, poor conf- Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, and, and Confess Fletch is, is like, you know, this movie that I love that is technically a Fletch movie and a reboot of, of these Fletch movies, but uh, is, you know, not really in the continuity, is more just an adaptation of the sequel book. So, you know. Uh, my five nominees are Avatar The Way of Water, The Batman, Glass Onion, Jackass Forever, and Pearl. 
Uh, yeah, fun category here. I feel like this is... I, I didn't end up nominating Avatar 2 for much. Uh, I liked it a lot as someone who only likes the first Avatar a little. Um, I, I, I think it's... Uh, I, I I like the story. I like the uh, messaging of it. I think you know the thing that I can't get over with Avatar is just you know the the sort of colonialist narrative that it's sort of playing off of. And I feel like this film, you know, it, it asks you to start from the point of Jake Sully has been reborn and now he just is an Navi. That's just like yeah. like we're not don't even think about it. But then it sort of tells the narrative again through through Quaritch. In in this, I, I I think this way that really comments on the story of the first movie really interestingly, and then just also the 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 fact that it's fully committed to like you know the the humans want to colonize the planet, and Jake is like a, you know a a, a a terrorist, you know uh, uh, this 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 the, the the leader of this cell that is like blowing up trains and shit. Uh, very cool. <laughs> very cool to me um and yeah great script great action great cast just a a really immersive film that i think um improves on the first one in in just about every way um batman and pearl i i already talked about i already started to talk about jackass forever but uh that's just you know uh, uh really funny uh great theatrical experience i feel like seeing that at the top of the year made me like more of a gay guy this year <laughs> just, just, <laughs> which is which is just the agenda that's just uh that's what yeah. jackass is all about yeah um and glass onion um I, I, again great theatrical experience uh really funny movie again a movie that i think improves on knives out in just about every way um so my winner this is going to be a tough one and if you if you want to say that pearl you know new is it really a franchise film is another film came out this yeah. year by the the substitute to put in there would be dr strange in the multiverse of madness so count your blessings um yeah, i'm yeah, gonna no. give this one to i and by the way i liked dr strange in the multiverse of madness a lot and i feel weird about <laughs> the fact that i liked it so much yeah. It remains the only Sam Raimi movie I haven't seen. I've seen everything else in his filmography, but I just, I've checked it out from the library twice and both times after keeping it up for two weeks, I've just had to return it because I don't, I can't sit down and do it for some reason. Yeah, it's, they, I, I, I was so like, there were moments in that movie that I was just so giddy in the theater just from like the, the, the Raimi, you know, shots and transitions and like, I, 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 it, it's like kind of about dreams in a way that I think is cool. And there's like the, um, you know, this, this climax involving the souls of the damned that, that is like, just, just I was like, I was like jumping in my seat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, that wasn't, I didn't end up nominating that. And I am going to give it to, uh, you know, I'll give this one to Glass Onion. <laughs> I'm intrigued that you like Glass Onion so much because I didn't love it. Mm. And I've talked, I was talking to a friend who also didn't really love it as much as the first one. So I'm intri- I'm intrigued to continue talking about that as we go. Sure. I don't think I nominated sure. it for much of anything. But it was fun. I don't know. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on Glass Onion. Interesting. Like I had a good time while watching it. But then I feel like it didn't 
it didn't hold up as I continued to think about it the way that Knives Out did. Mm. I feel like I I kind of feel that way about Knives Out that I you know really enjoyed it as I was watching it and a lot of things about it you know I I don't have much to look back on and with Glass Onion I felt like it was certainly funnier and um the cast I think I I think the cast was like doing characters that were more interesting and I yeah. I, I just think it's like they're both sort of structurally like obviously that you know the the whole history of of mystery movies is playing on the the, the history of mystery novels so yeah. the, the, they're playing on the genre but i feel like glass onion um th- the way that it you know it sort of like shows its hand with the yo-yo ma thing and then just you know tells the same story again but reveals something new by doing so i i i found it um I, I i found it really funny uh another movie where i was just consistently like this guy knows how to use a camera <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes yeah uh ryan johnson i is definitely up there for me and i i almost wish he could break out from knives out a little bit more because the movies that he makes i always consistently enjoy yeah and i i want him to keep making new original things so i can keep seeing original things made by someone who knows how to make a movie yeah i want to see another like brothers bloom or looper or something yes. i mean last jedi is also my favorite star wars movie but like Same. I, w- Same. I want to see him you know continue to find new things yeah. i loved looper looper is one of those movies that i watched on like the middle of the day in the summer and it just like haunts me i loved it looper rocks <laughs> um okay my nominees for this for best franchise edition for okay i just a little bit my be- my nominees are Avatar 2, Top Gun Maverick, Downton Abbey 2, or Downton Abbey and New mm-hmm. Era, The Batman, and then the new Hellraiser. Okay. Um, all great, all movies that I went into with a deep love for the source material, except Top Gun. Top Gun, I went in and I, I don't care about the original Top Gun. I find it boring. And the new I one agree. was so much better. It, it is better than Top Gun. <laughs> Yeah. But it's like I never have to watch Top Gun ever again. Whenever I watch right? it, I can just watch the new one, which I yeah. love. Um, but for like every other thing, I went in like such a hardcore fan of the franchise, and was just felt good leaving. Felt like the people who made the movie gave me what I wanted, but they didn't do it in like a really fan servicey, annoying way, like the Marvel movies often do, or the Star Wars movies did. Um. I kind of, I think I'm going to give this one to Downton Abbey a new era because I know I'm going to sure. come back around to Top Gun multiple times and this Downton Abbey movie was what the franchise deserved. Like I really liked the first Downton Abbey movie. It was really fun, it was light, it was exactly what I wanted of just like a little taste of Downton Abbey again, just Julian Fellows weaving his stories. Um but this sequel was just a better movie overall, and it was unafraid to shake up the status quo of the characters a lot more. Like, the first one was very just fan servicey and, like, a fun way where it was like, okay, I don't care. This is, this could be four hours long and I'd still watch it. But yeah, the this new one, it also was really interesting in that, like, Singing in the Rain is one of my favorite movies ever. And the new Down Abbey movie was playing on that, like, the talkies are arriving. We have to redo the movie that we already started making. Like, well, that's interesting. It pulls, it, it, there's points in it, when I watched it with my sister, because it's also, 
one of the movies I watched the most this year because I saw this movie in theaters and then I saw it two or three more times at home. Like, I love this Downton Abbey movie. And when I watched it with my sister, she just turned to me and said, are they just doing Singing in the Rain? And I was like, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes it really interesting for me, like, and stands out from that sort of, like, it does sort of feel like they're doing Singing in the Rain again, is that because I've lived and loved these characters for years, it's been like a decade since Down Abbey started, and I've watched it from the first episode, that seeing a camera and, like, an actor and, like, a director in the Great Hall feels unique like it 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 you feel so like this is weird it's weird that they're filming the movie in down Abbey. like it puts you in the place of the characters and really adds impact to that sort of arrival of films in a way that like if you feel the history of it more um and there are just sort of other elements like that that really stood out to me and it, it's just i don't know if it, it, it hit all the things i wanted out of down Abbey. And I want Julian Fellows to just keep making them until he dies. <laughs> Make the opposite the of Ryan Johnson. You just want him to keep making these. <laughs> yes, literally. Julian Fellows. Oh my god. And this one, he finally gave the gay character like a happy storyline that was like actually like happy. Nice. My biggest complaint with Julian Fellows and all of Down Abbey has always been the way he treated the one gay character. And this movie was finally like, okay, you've done something that I appreciate. Thank you. Nice. Keep I should see that. Movie. It's so yeah, the, fun. the first Downton Abbey came out in the like peak college era of oh, like yeah. walk to Bronxville, see something. If you're not in the mood, you can just leave. And so I liked the first one, but I was like, yeah, you know, I reached the point like an hour seven in where I was like, I think I've seen enough. <laughs> yeah. Downton Abbey is a franchise where I don't know. I I just love it, and I want these characters to just keep being happy and doing things forever. Like, I could straight up just watch seven hours of Down Abbey movies, and I would be happy. There's something about it. I don't know. It's kind of wild, like, how long it's gone on, given that, you know, it's a, it's, it's a lot of, like, older characters, and, you know, yeah. this just the setting of it is really different from anything else that's popular right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great thing. Compared to the amount of, like, the richer evil movies and content that we get these days, Down Abbey is, like the one it's all about rich rich entitled people it's about british people it's very pro-monarchy there's never ever ever a person of color on screen to the point where where there is a person on color on screen it is like oh my god this movie is so white like there's one jazz singer in this new down abbey movie and there's like a shot of her and she's like singing and this black woman and it's so uncomfortable in the moment to just be like handed the fact that this movie has no other people of color in it um yeah (laughs) so like down abbey is not perfect it's old people media and as an old person internally and mentally i love it even though there are all these problems but there's something about it that is so comforting that it like transcends the like all of the very front and center base level problems that are within it uh best international film uh this okay this category i saw so few international movies this year that i I almost had nothing to put in this one. I feel very embarrassed. Well, that's okay. My five nominees are Bardo, False Chronicles of a Handful of Truths from Mexico, Decision to Leave from South Korea, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris from the UK, Petite Maman from France, and RRR from India. Um, 
Yeah, I, you know, this is another category that I sort of, uh, went back and forth about, like, how I should consider it, and I was ultimately, I think this is really how it's done at, like, uh, other award shows too, where it's just like, if it's a, if it's a US co-production, then, you know, it's, it's not part of the conversation, so there's some films that, like, obviously Banshees is a very Irish movie, but it's also a a searchlight movie, so, um, but, with each of these it's like bardo is like a very polarizing movie that i just loved i love how like indulgent and surreal it is and it, it, it totally did it for me i've already talked about decision to leave which rocks petite maman uh just like celine siama doing 68 minutes so tight so like like so much happened like i was talking to a friend um at a Hanukkah party, and that movie came up, and and they were like one of my favorites this year, and I and I said sixty eight minutes, and they were like what? Because <laughs> <laughs> because it just yeah. you know tells its story so beautifully in that short time. Um, RRR, I you know there's nothing more to be said about RRR. It's yeah. like I think the film this year that's most likely to be talked about as like maybe one of the best of all time. If we're lo- talking like ten twenty years in the future, I think yeah. like just for being it the crouching tiger hidden dragon thing of like being the movie from this sprawling film culture to actually break out with american audiences rr like ambulance is a movie that i didn't get to see in theaters and it haunts me that i didn't get to see it in theaters and that i still haven't seen it and i think that's part of why i still haven't seen either of those movies even though i know i love them because i'm i'm like crushed with my guilt that i didn't get to them in theaters <laughs> yeah i think i think rr is going to continue to have a lot of screenings so you you should definitely be able to to see that i mean they've been having screenings every couple of months at the philly uh, film society um ambulance a little trickier but hopefully someone someone comes to it i finally got a good enough home entertainment setup that i think i can make it work i'll get as close to the experience as i can yeah i think i think ambulance will probably be riveting at home too um Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, one I haven't talked about yet. A really yeah. delightful, uh, <laughs> just just so just just such a lovely film. Um, I was expecting it to be this the, the, the this really joyful movie. I was not expecting it to be so Marxist, um, <laughs> which I love. Uh, Leslie Manville just doing like great great work in that role. There's it's like a, there's like four or five books. I so want them to like make this an an ongoing series because i just love being in this world i love you know spending time with mrs harris and this sort of this (laughs) sort of you know this like low class high class play that happens uh in the film i'm all about it i think my winner it could go a lot of ways depending on how i'm feeling at a given time um in this moment I'm making the decision to leave this award to Bardo. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bardo rocks. Uh, decision <laughs> to leave is probably the one I should give it to, but I'm giving it to Bardo for right now. Listen, this is why it's it's your awards. You can do whatever yeah. you want. Yes, I can. Um, like I said, I saw literally... Because the, the movie theater near me is a Cinemark multiplex that doesn't sure. really get international screenings. And yeah. the local independent theater isn't that much further away, but it's just further enough that I don't make it very often. Um, so I think literally the only movies I saw that are technically international are Downton Abbey 2 and Banshees. Sure. Um, 
but clearly I'm going to give it to Banshees. Um, I also saw Mr. Malcolm's List, which is another like oh, British yeah. period drama, but I looked it up and I think it is straight up just an American production. So I was like, eh. Yeah. It, it was, it was fun within the genre. That's a genre that I love. And I thought it was a fun newer addition, but. Yeah, I feel like that's a genre where like they released a lot of those this year. There, there were like there were like six or seven of them. I feel like, and most of them were just like, you know, like like the the you know they're sort of playing with like maybe doing a little bit of modern dialogue, but not really, and you know, yeah. like the costumes. But like, few of them feel fully realized. It sort of feels like just like post Bridgerton. Like we got to crank these out. Yeah, the only one of that sort of new era that really really stuck with me and that i love is the david copperfield with dev patel oh that was a good one i adored and i actually got to see it in theaters um even though it's like because it came out in 2020 no one remembers that it happened and that movie i adore and i love and i wish more people knew about it because it was just i'm not a huge dickens fan usually his period pieces are the ones that i'm like eh about but so good anyway yeah i give it to banshees it was fantastic. Um, yeah. <laughs> and of the things I saw, there you go. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, get back to Banshees for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Animated feature. Okay. Uh, so, sort of a, you know, there are a lot of good ones this year, but my five nominees were Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, Mad God, Pinocchio, and Wendell and Wild. Uh, as I said, this was a, a cool year for animation. We actually did a, a whole episode about how it was a cool year for animation. Um, the fact that I have three stop motion movies on here and they were like all, uh, incredible is, is, is sort of a testament to that. We had like, you know, uh, new Henry Selick and then, and then Phil Tippett, uh, coming from downtown with his long awaited, uh, uh, passion project and Pinocchio, you know, so a, a director getting into stop motion for the first time. I, I it might have been a new studio, also. I'm not sure, but like, really exciting stuff happening there. Uh, Chip and Dale is one of these films that, Mar- like Marcel, where like there are a decent amount of live action elements, but like all the major characters are stop motion or are, are animated rather. And it's like if if the Oscars were counting Marcel for animation then i can count chip and dale for animation but i was actually it's it's like probably not that impressive but i was kind of blown away thinking about chip and dale and being like there's one human character who's in like less than half an hour of the movie the rest of it is just these animated characters and yet every background like akiva schaefer just like shot you know sets with like standards of 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 chip and dale and like the fact that there's still such a movement and such like lonely island kind of kind of feeling to it despite all that um i find really impressive beavis and butthead do the universe came very close to making my franchise film list as well um really fun to see i mean it's just great to see like a good you know hand-drawn animated film obviously like an 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 adult comedy animated film and like as someone who has always had a respect for beavis and butthead but never like gotten that into it i feel like this film really sold me on you know how the humor of beavis and butthead can sustain itself for a full movie yeah um i think in this moment i've been thinking about wendell and wild more and i do like that a lot um i think 
Uh, I think I have to give it to Mad God, but on another day, it could easily be Wendell Wild. Yeah. Yet again, most of the things you've seen are things that I wish I had seen. Um, the I think I saw a Turning Red, which I loved. Um, Very good. I I don't know. I didn't. I enjoyed it, and I have Marcel the Shell, which I loved. And then I also threw Avatar two on here as a funny. Haha. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and I think I one mean, of yeah, like I. I loved the first Avatar movie, and I didn't love the second one as much. Or I love it for different rate. It's, I love it in a different way. But the element of Avatar two that stands out is the is the animation, is the CGI. Like it's mind boggling. So I just threw it in here because when talking about like just the the things that were animated in the year, I gotta I gotta throw tip my hat to Avatar 2 and all James Cameron's wild people. Um, The other one I really wanted to see but I didn't see was The Bad Guys. Um, But I think I'm just going to give it to Marcel Deschel. Marcel Deschel was... Marcel Deschel made me so emotional and it was so sweet and it made me laugh. And I'm going to come back to it for supporting performances because I think Isabella Rossellini... Yeah, I came came very close to to putting Isabella Rossellini in, in the supporting category. Yeah. Like... Maybe my favorite movie of hers ever. She, I mean, she's she's so good in it. Yeah, I mean, I mean to to test on Avatar again for a second. I feel like the thing that you know, as I, as I was watching it, the thing that I remembered is like we're talking about the sequel king here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, he he knows what he's doing, and it's funny because like him and the, like the other people who are like notoriously good at sequels you think of like sam raimi and george miller both of whom also put out movies this year so like the the, the kings are back in action yeah uh, but yeah i mean if 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 marcel is an- animated then avatar is animated <laughs> like, like yeah. yeah original song my my five nominees are uh at the automat by mel brooks from the automat Nothing is Lost, You Give Me Strength by The Weeknd from Avatar The Way of Water. Rip Up the Recipe by Sean Mendez from Lyle Lyle Crocodile. This is a Life by Sunlux with Mitski and David Byrne from Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Vegas by Doja Cat from Elvis. Uh, yeah, this was a fun category. There were a lot of things to consider here. I know that um, a lot of people, most people are not paying as much attention to like <laughs> what the original songs and film are uh, from a year. As I am, but since I pay so much attention to, like, new music, I'm able to, um, come up with this stuff. Although, At the Automat was a late edition, because I hadn't seen The Automat until, like, last week. Um, and then I was like, oh, there's a there's a new Mel Brooks song in this movie! <laughs> so I had to throw it on there. Um, I love the weekend song from, from Avatar. I feel like that's just a, a type of song that doesn't get made that often anymore, where it's just, like, you take a big pop star of the moment, and you're like here's the score for this movie, just, like, make make a song out of it. <laughs> um, Rip Up the Recipe, really fun song from Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which is, like, a, a pretty enjoyable movie, I thought. I liked it more than I expected to. Um, the Miski and David Byrne track from Everything Everywhere is just, like, you know, how could you not? I do think I'm going to give this to Vegas by Doja Cat, which is, like, kind of a perfect song and my favorite Doja Cat song. <laughs> like, there's just something transcendent about, like, the way that she flips 
uh, Hound Dog into like a completely original earworm when Hound Dog is such this classic pop song. Um, and I think that's really what Baz Luhrmann is is playing at with the way that he does his soundtracks. And there's something to be said about the fact that the Academy was like, this is using the music from a song, from from Hound Dog, so it doesn't count as an original song. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an excellent song. The Academy has been stupid about original song for a while now. Yeah. Like, I feel like there have been multiple years where, like, the the year that The Weeknd got nominated for the song from Fifty Shades of Grey, I forget which one, I yeah, love that it. song. It was so good. But it was not something that anyone in the Academy was ever going to give an award to, because it's from the Fifty Shades movie. Like, the Academy never, I don't know, it overlooks this category, or it, like, doesn't think about it enough yeah i don't know if it's i i don't think it's the, the yeah i i don't think it's the same as like the actors vote in the acting category i don't think that it's like songwriters voting in the song category because like yeah you know it's it's a specific kind of song that the academy likes yeah yeah it, it goes to the james bond song every single time and like i usually love the james bond song but there's a there's a level of like there's no I wish there was more openness to like creativity and uniqueness within this genre. Yeah, there's also like this the, there's also like the second time in a row that they shut out Doja Cat because her song from um, Birds of Prey was was getting a lot of traction, and the Academy was like, it doesn't count because it's not in the movie enough. It's in the movie for like for like a minute, like 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 it's in the movie enough. <laughs> That's ridiculous. The Birds yeah. of Prey soundtrack was is one of my favorite soundtracks for the past few years. I listened to it ad nauseum in 2020 and every song on it is a jam i'm so mad about that i didn't hear about that i haven't watched the oscars for a couple years so i'm completely out of the loop sure you can listen to the uh pulp friction episode about the oscars (laughs) in march yeah my nominees for this were my the elvis song that i picked was the king and i by eminem featuring (laughs) Green because i love eminem a lot sure sure a lot like i love eminem and there's something like it's it's almost a comedy song in the fact that it's like an eminem song about elvis with CeeLo green in it um like it's yeah, almost i like i like it, the verse that literally starts now i'm about to explain to you all the parallels between elvis and me yeah. like <laughs> like fucking will smith <laughs> i just i love it and one yeah. of my other nominees is now you know from weird the new weird owl song Mm-hmm. I just I love comedy music. I love music that's funny but also really engaging. And yeah. so like Elvis had lots of good music in it, but I got to give a shout out to my boy Marshall. Yeah, um, I will say like in 2018 I pr- I probably would have given one to Eminem's song from Venom, which I also think is very funny. <laughs> that that is a song that really launched me getting into Eminem and then after yeah. that I listen like now I listen to him constantly. He's like Yeah. It's many episodes to be done about Eminem, but go yes, on. <laughs> please. When you do an Eminem episode, please invite me along. He was my we top will. artist of 2020. There's <laughs> a lot about like my state in 2020. Listen, I'm from Detroit. So <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it all. <laughs> um, the other ones I nominated was Hold My Hand from uh, Top Gun Maverick by Lady sure. Gaga. And then yes. This Is Life from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, I don't know. There weren't a ton of songs that really stood out to me this year, and all the ones that did were from Elvis because the soundtrack to that is so 
engaging and such a part of the film as a whole. So I think I'm going to give it to Eminem because why not? Great. <laughs> cool. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we like to see. Yeah. I'm for score. Yeah. I couldn't think of really anything for score, honestly. That's fine. Score was a really tough one for me. I did, you know, put some effort into like finding everything and it was hard to think of like, what are the five? This is another one where I wanted to throw Elfman for, for Multiverse of Madness in there. And I mm-hmm. ended up not at the last minute, but my five nominees are Tyler Bates and Chelsea Wolf for X, Bryce Desner and Alejandro Gonzalez and Yari too for Bardo, Michael Giacchino for the Batman, Justin Hurwitz for Babylon and Sun Lux for everything ever all at once. I, you know, I've said before, I, I, X didn't stick with me that much, but I feel like coming back to it, the score for it is so unique and, and, and memorable in a way where like Pearl is doing like a pastiche of, again, these sort of old Hollywood, very melodramatic, stringy scores. Uh, X is doing something I think more original with this Chelsea Wolf sort of like sludgy metal sound. Um, that I think is just really cool and, and fun at times. Um, there's, I just lost my place. There's, um, the, the, the Bardo score, which is, you know, I, I mean, I really liked when Inari 2 did the, the Birdman score that was like just drums. I, you know, it's a, a real gimmicky thing that I like to see with Bardo. It's a lot of like, uh, uh, you know, horns, trumpets, um, again, this sort of minimal, but, but very sort of like, dynamic thing at the same time speaking of trumpets babylon uh just i mean we'll talk about that movie more but um just a a, a crazy film and a film where i feel like the score really moves with it and there's also all this like completely outside the film shit where it is like taking elements from previous uh 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 previous uh, Damien Chazelle movies and the scores that Justin Hurwitz did for those. There's like this, this narrative that's building of like his scores. Yeah. Um, the Batman score, I think like the cinematography is just like really iconic and unforgettable. And you know, the just, just that like, dun, 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 yeah. like that's going to stick with you. And everything everywhere, this really like, like fun, unique Sun Lux score that I think, um, there's so much going on in that movie that the score does get lost a little, but I feel like, uh, it is very cool. Um, I am gonna give this to Babylon, which again, I just think this score is so much a part of the film and has so yeah. much going on, so much thought going into it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have very mixed feelings on Damien Chazelle. Um, but the one thing I that did does... until Babylon. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> we'll get into it. Um, I appreciate that he appreciates music so much and puts so much thought into the music in his movies because, mm-hmm. like, I was, I don't know, I love film scores. I could name film composers before I could name directors as, like, a child. I was like, I love Danny Elfman um, and James Horner and, like, uh, so it, I don't know. It disappointed me that nothing stood out to me as much this year as I wanted it to. But to loop back around to my original point, Damien Chazelle, he cares. And this is something that gets so overlooked in a lot of movies, especially, like, I love action, and I feel like action scores can just be, like, plugged in nonsense half the time, which is so annoying, because if you have a good score in your action movie, it elevates everything. Um, Yeah, that's basically what I have to say about that, is I appreciate that element of Damien Chazelle. I don't appreciate all his other elements, Mm -hmm. but I appreciate some of them. Sure. 
So I did split screenplay into original and adapted, um, which which was a mixed thing. I ended up in, in adapted kind of being like, I don't know about this, but uh, there's so many originals to go through that I decided to split it up. My, I'll just go through both of the nominee lists. My original screenplay nominees are Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, Tar, Decision to Leave, Kimmy, and The Banshees of Inishirin. My adapted screenplay nominees are Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Catherine Called Birdie, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, 3,000 Years of Longing, and Glass Onion. In adapted screenplay, the ones that I haven't touched on yet are um, Honk for Jesus, this really fun debut by uh, Adama Ebo that sort of starts as a comedy and morphs into this this really stark kind of drama as it goes on. Um, and that's adapted from her own short film, so there's a lot of expansion happening there that I think is really well done. 3,000 Years of Longing, easily one of one of my favorites of the year, although I didn't nominate it in that many categories. Um, I, 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 I love George Miller's just storytelling and style and all that, and this script that he wrote with his daughter um, is like just just really thoughtful and unique and the sort of thing that I think a lot of people w- would just wouldn't tell this story in film because they're like, this isn't how movies work. These aren't the kind of movies that get made. Uh, so I have to have a lot of respect for that. And Catherine Called Birdie, I almost nominated Lena Dunham in both the original and adapted uh, screenplays for Catherine Called Birdie and Sharp Stick. I ultimately decided that I liked the script for Catherine Called Birdie more. Um, the way that it expands on this... Um, this kidlet uh, uh, story and, you know, makes it feel really natural as a film. It doesn't feel like an adaptation of it. You know, it's very, um, and, and it's a great movie for kids also, even though it's, it's got some like adult elements to it as well. It just uh, is like, you know, really, really adapted for the screen um, in a really great way. Uh, and then Glass Onion and Mrs. Harris I've already discussed before. Um, right now, I'm feeling like I'm going to give it to Catherine Called Birdie. And I, I'm hesitant because like, I, I don't think I'm going to give 3,000 Years of Longing any of the ones coming up. But uh, I think Catherine Called Birdie is, is the one for that. And for original screenplay, I don't want to take too much time on that. Uh, Leo Grande, really great, you know, sort of, sort of like introspective kind of sex comedy. Could it be a go- cool double feature with 3,000 Years of Loggings, both movies about two people in a hotel, one of them's this older, this, you know, there's a lot of stuff there. Tar, what, what more can be said about Tar? Um, just, just, you know, great story, great, uh, just a, and an immediately recognizable great film. Kimmy, one from earlier in the year that I, I'm, I'm just a, a slot for Soderbergh. I gave Don Cheadle best actor for, um, uh, no sudden move. Um, but, uh, Kimmy is just a really great script. David Cap, you know, this classic screenwriter making this sort of, uh, this sort of old school thriller that they don't make that many of anymore. And, um, but but so modern with the way that it talks about like the surveillance state and 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 the pandemic and everything i'm definitely giving this to banshees which is just like yeah such such a profoundly sad and yet so funny yes the script you know it's just like it, it, it's lightning in a bottle the, the 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 first madonna movie that like really feels like everything is is working together beautifully yeah this is one that I also 
that I struggled with just because, like, my my brain has a hard time separating the screenplay category from just, like, film, the whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, like, I don't know, trying to separate out my feelings about, like, certain specific, I don't know. I'm sort of rambling, but the things I wrote down anyway were Banshees, Marcel the Shell, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Pearl. And I wanted to throw Bodies, Bodies, Bodies in here. Sure. Um, because the twist of that film and the way that that film, the, the story that that film tells and the way it goes about it is so smart. And it's one of the few movies about young people that feels like it's actually kind of authentic to the way young people talk which impressed me because so often you know i was sort of thinking about the newest scream movie because that was something i saw this year and i I forgot i'd seen it this year i even forgot it came out this year um and like that's another one where it's sort of like youth the youth culture but i don't know something about the newest scream movie felt a little forced like i really liked it and i think scream is a franchise that can always argue for its existence and continued Re, re, reimagining, but I was just really impressed with, yeah, the humor, and the twists, and the the way that bodies, bodies, bodies kept me coming back into it, even if most of the movie is just sort of like dark camera, someone trying to find a phone in the dark, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like bodies, bodies, bodies is far from the first movie to do the twist that it has, but I was like so invested, and I was feeling like you know I feel okay about this movie, and then when the twist happens, I was like, oh, this is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it's it was like a movie where I was like, oh, this is fine up until the twist, and then I was like, oh, this is brilliant. Yeah, this is. And it's so hard to pull it off and not feel like the audience has been cheated. Like, I feel like often when you do that, it's like, oh, well, screw you. Great. But it pulled it off, which just impressed the heck out of me. Absolutely. Um, I think I want to give this one to Pearl. Because I think what the movie was talking about and the way it sort of indirectly circled around its themes, instead of shoving them in your face... I don't know. Because I could also totally give it to Banshees. Like, the intricacy... Banshees is a masterwork of, for me, of saying something really simply, but saying it in a very complex way that's that's hit... I don't know. Because it... I don't... It, it's hard for me to... Ex, for my brain to, like, explain all the levels of what I love about Banshees. And I literally... I was having a conversation with my mom about it today, and she turns to me and goes, well, I realize that you know, the Civil War is sort of a metaphor for their relationship. And I was like, yeah, Mom. That's a right. yeah, key element of the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I don't know. I'm going to give it to Pearl, because why not? Because I'm, yeah. I'm going crazy. Yeah, I mean, what you know, there's a lot I like about Pearl. I love horror movies where the horror is like, where the horror is like, what if a bunch of weird shit happened? Yeah. Um, but I also, that... That monologue that that Mia yeah. Goth does near the end is like so stunning, uh, and so well done, so well shot too. Yeah, um, incredible performance. We'll get to her performance later. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah. yeah, some of the like, like the little things of like the the pig rotting on the front porch. Yeah, or the scene when um, the projectionist is showing her the pornography, like that. The thing, the way that that movie talks about film 
feels fresh and feels so thoughtful and i can't help but love it best cameo oh okay my nominees are bjork in the northman val kilmer in top gun maverick yeah david lynch in the fablemans mega 64 in not okay and connor o'malley in bodies 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 now i was i was very nearly that was the one that i was very nearly going to give to conan for uh weird and then i realized that i had forgot to consider by by his list at all which might be why it's it's a little underrepresented mm-hmm. um but Connor O'Malley is showing up at the last, at like the last second of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It's like the perfect way to do a cameo because they're building up. This guy's going to come back soon, like the entire movie. And then he shows up and it's such a great punchline. And if you know Connor O'Malley, it's like the perfect person to, to, to have do that punchline. Um, uh, Mega 64 and not okay is like right at the beginning in the opening montage. And that's another one that's like sort of a very niche thing, but like very funny to see them, uh, in that film. Kilmer and Maverick just like, yeah, it's, it's been so long since we've seen him and he's, you know, doing, doing such good work, uh, with, with, you know, these limitations, obviously. Uh, but, you know, a, a really moving cameo, Bjork in the Northman. I feel like Defoe in the Northman is also kind of a cameo, but, like, Bjork is just more like, you know, cause, cause Defoe in a, in an Eggers movie, it's like, oh, he's gonna do great work for, like, you know, even if he's only in it for a couple of minutes, but Bjork showing up is such a rare treat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but speaking of rare treats, I am going to give it to David Lynch in the Fablemans because he just, you know, completely shifts the tone of the movie. I love Fablemans and it's another movie that's kind of underrepresented here, but like in the, it, it, he shows up like right at the end and just like, you know, you've been following this drama that's kind of intense and has a lot of layers to it, but they're not always obvious. And then Lynch, and then you feel Lynch is about to show up. Like, you know who he's playing, and you, you get to that scene, and you're like, oh my god, he's almost here. And then the whole movie turns into a David Lynch movie for two minutes, and it's phenomenal. I almost put Val Kilmer in Supporting Actor, straight up. I was like, because it, it holds so much of that movie, I don't know, together. Cause, especially because the whole movie you're hearing about Iceman and like you're seeing texts and he's there and then when you finally see him, yeah, and, like that whole conversation. It's what uh, uh, some a certain critic has called a thermostat performance, where you know it, it changes the temperature of the film. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. That's a smart way to put it. Um, my nominees. I literally just said the whole party scene in Weird because every single cut. It would cut to someone else and be like, oh my god. Yeah. Both as the character that they were playing and the actor playing them. Like, I'd be like, oh my god, it's divine. And oh my god, it's, you know, oh, and now it's Jack Black. Like, there was like two layers of cameos to everything in that scene. And I loved it. Um, the, okay. I know that technically, I'm going to blank on his name now. Because I didn't, I just wrote down Black Phone. And now I can't remember the name of the actor. Um, but he played Eddie in It, Chapter 2. And I don't even think it was technically a cameo. Uh, James Ransone. Oh, James James Ransone, yeah. So I did not know he was in this movie, and it hit me like a cameo, even though I think it was literally like not a surprise that he was in this movie. Um, and then the other one being Tom Savini. Because... 
I didn't know that he worked on the mask. And so then seeing his name in the credit crawl was like amazing. So I'm literally counting Tom Savini's work on this mask as a cameo. <laughs> um, and then of course Love I have to phrase. give a huge shout out to Glass Onion because mm-hmm. every, again, it was another one where it's like every two seconds there was some other cameo that I was like, what? My yeah, favorite the Ethan, the Ethan, Ethan Hawke cameo yes. is so good. <laughs> That's literally what I was going to say. One of my favorite yeah. reviews of that movie I've seen is, uh, I wish Ethan Hawke had gotten on the boat with them. <laughs> True. I got really yeah. excited. I thought he was going to be in the movie and then it's just a cameo. But my, I think I have to give it to the Zoom call in Glass Onion. Because like, you throw me, you throw me all of those people in Daniel Craig's bathtub. Like, that's insane. Playing Among Us. Yes. That whole, oh my god. And then at, when it got to the end of the credits, and it's like dedicated to um, uh, Stephen Sondheim and my brain is Lansbury. dying. Lansbury. Lansbury. Lansbury, thank you. And it was dedicated to both of them. And I had to explain to my parents that like, they've both died since this movie was made. There's something... Right kind of incredible about like Steven Sondheim's like last appearance on film is probably playing among us in Glass Onion. <laughs> yeah. So that, I got to give it to that. Um, there's also, I mean, there's so many cameos in Glass Onion. You've got yeah. Yo-Yo Ma, you've got Serena Williams, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the dong. <laughs> <laughs> Best ensemble. My nominees are The Batman, the Fablemans, Glass Onion, Jackass Forever, and The Woman King. Um, I already talked about most of these. I feel like with the Batman, I didn't really get to the cast, but I think like so many, like like again, pretty early in the year, and you know, superhero movie. I don't think about it that way, but like so many great performances in that movie. I think everyone except Andy Serkis is like firing on all cylinders in that. Um, Zoe Kravitz reveal just, just, just the first time we see her is so, is, is so stunning. Um, Turturro doing great work in that movie. Um, and the woman King, you know, has fewer big names, but is, is just like, everyone is, is, you know, top tier from like the kids to, you know, um, the, 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 the colonizers, the John Boyega playing this, like, this king who's, like, kind of out of touch, but, like, not a, not a, not a tyrant, you know, someone who's, like, willing to listen, but is sort of removed from, from the society. I, I just feel like the whole cast is really striking in that film. Um, let's see, I did just give one to Fablemans, uh, so whatever, I'll give this one to Batman because again, just a a stunning cast uh, in that movie. Yeah, I also had Batman for this category because again, it was one where, like, I both when they were announcing the cast initially, just announcing who the casting, and then as I was watching the movie, every other person, it was like a wonderful surprise to see them on screen. Um, yeah, it's like even knowing who everyone was playing, like. Yeah they're they're everyone's a revelation yes yeah especially like i've always been a really diehard batman fan and i love seeing what each new casting does for these characters that i've loved forever and that have been done so many different ways um i'm gonna blank on this actor's name but the one they got playing commissioner gordon yeah Uh, oh jeffrey wright Jeffrey Wright, thank you. Jeffrey Wright is so good in that movie, I totally forgot he was in it. <laughs> yeah, no, he, 
and casting him as Commissioner Gordon, it's one of those things where I don't, it's not what people would initially go for, but it works so well. And he's so solid as that, like, stoic. It was so refreshing after so many years of uh, Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon, to be honest. Like, in, technically in the middle there, we had J.K. Simmons, but we never got enough J.K. Simmons as Gordon to, like, really feel like we got Gordon as J.K. Simmons. Like, we never got yeah, it. And that was always that was always kind of a mad idea, in my opinion, but... It always made me excited, but I think it made me excited in the absurdity of it, more than anything. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, my other nominees are X, Bodies, 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 Top Gun Maverick, and then Banshees. Um, I love Top Gun Mavericks. You know, you're you're building on one of the most famous, like, buddy group movies, and they do a really good job of sticking with the the feeling of Top Gun, but still keeping it really fresh. And I just thought everybody did a great job. Um, Something I mentioned to my friend Sam recently was I like how they add women into the team, but like keep the homoeroticism. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> they change almost nothing, which is exactly what I'd want. Yeah. Like I've always said, I want someone to make an action movie where it's literally just a your most basic cut and dry Arnold Schwarzenegger style, like 80s action movie, but you just cast a butch woman as the lead. Like I just want that change nothing none of the dialogue changed none of the action changed and top gun just sort of did that which i loved um and bodies 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 again it was like all of these young people doing great job great performances and lee pace is also there um, lee pace. <laughs> lee pace, yeah <laughs> he was funny <laughs> i don't know i think it, um, i think i'll also give it to the batman I mean, we haven't even talked about, you know, Farrell and Dano, who are, like, yes. the, the the most flashy performances in the movie. Oh, yeah. And are both, both doing great stuff. I remember in the in the Batman episode when I tell um, Xander, my guest, that, uh, that, that Colin Farrell is the Penguin, they were like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's coming up in supporting performance. He's the first name I wrote down for supporting performance. What a year for Farrell. Yeah. He's had a bunch of great years i we need to have like a full appreciation of colin farrell one of these days like it's i true. loved him in the lobster i love him in daredevil like mm-hmm. i think we're getting there i think you know this year with all these like round tables he's doing and he's like such a such a like soulful guy yeah. you know i feel i feel like the, the colin farrell appreciation train is coming finally breakout performance okay my nominees are Austin Butler, Elvis, Anna Cobb, We're All Going to the World's Fair, Austin Crute for Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, and They Slash Them. <laughs> yes. Dolly DeLeon for Triangle of Sadness, and Stephanie Sue for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, with, with Stephanie Sue, I know there's uh, there, a lot of the talk this award season is how people are throwing Jamie Lee Curtis up there and snubbing Stephanie Sue. I definitely think that she has like the 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 meteor you know more important performance for the film but like you know obviously the the with with the award shows it's really about like the narrative and the actor and all that and jamie lee curtis's narrative is that she has never even been nominated for an oscar which i found out recently i mean if you think about it it's like she won the bafta for trading places she won the golden globe for true lies but those were both like not really awards movies 
and she's like yeah she she was like a little bit in the conversation for a fish called wanda she didn't end up getting nominated but it's like she has had this career of doing like a lot of comedies and horror movies that that you know don't don't get this kind of buzz so you know this is the point to be like let's let's appreciate jamie lee curtis so i someone once said that like the supporting actor and actress categories is where you can just finally give a nod to the character actors who just have been snubbed forever like Mm -hmm. and i think it kind of works there um yeah uh dolly de leon and triangle of sadness totally owns the last third of that movie and you know uh has has not appeared in american films before uh but she's uh doing really great and complicated work uh in that film which i don't think i nominated anywhere else but it is pretty good um austin crute has like a great single scene in honk for jesus that is just so stirring and comes out of nowhere and just like you know takes you aback and then he's playing this this very stereotypical character in they slash them but i think um still you know stands out among the cast of that movie as someone who is uh you know giving giving it their all in a movie that doesn't demand it yeah (laughs) yeah he has a charisma that pulls you in even if you know even if the rest of the movie is ridiculous he still has the charisma to carry above that yeah i'll say this too i did consider bacon uh in supporting for this last time because i think that's a really good performance actually (laughs) um Cobb and we're all going to the World's Fair. Uh, just, just stunning, great, like weird girl, you know, <laughs> work and like so genuinely weird. I feel like, like, like she so perfectly is like the kind of girl who would, you know, go down this rabbit hole and sort of like get too invested in it. And and like, like it, it's a really perfect performance. And she had a cameo in Bones and all. Like, it's already like building a career off of this, which is really exciting to see. But. Uh, I kind of think I can't not give it to Austin Butler who just delivers like, we'll talk more about it later. One of the, one of the performances of the year. If I was going to hedge to, you know, spread, spread the wealth, I would give this one to Anna Cobb, but Austin Butler and Elvis is just stunning. Just, you can't take your eyes off him. Uh, my nominees, I listed Jenna Ortega for X and Scream. I, I didn't look up whether she'd done other stuff, but I had no, I had no awareness of Jenna Ortega before now. And she like immediately became a scream queen this year, and yeah, I love it, and I appreciate her, and I want her to keep doing everything she's doing forever. Um, and she's sort of a steen stealer in X, which I love. I agree. She's um, definitely my favorite part of X. Yeah. Uh, I also nominated Stephanie Sue from Everything Everywhere All at Once. One of those people where, from the minute that we see her, like in her first like ridiculous costume of that movie, I was like, oh this is incredible she deserves everything like the the ability to switch between two very different characters and carry like this totally different power love it um i also said mason thames and madeline mcgraw from black phone so the two young leads of black phone i think they both absolutely killed it especially madeline mcgraw like yeah foul mouth little girl stole the entire movie like there i love totally. so many elements of that movie but she stole it um, and then I also just wanted to give a shout out to Barry Coogan, Coogan who's in Banshees. He was also in a other stuff, I guess, but the only he other thing is... I'd ever seen him in was The Green Knight. Um, sure. Well, well, he is also, um, Joker at the end of, uh, the Batman. I didn't realize that. My brain had never connected those dots. So, yeah. well, 
I think he's doing really good, and I'm I'm glad to see him on the rise, because every time I see him, he does a fantastic job. Um, yeah, he rocks. I'm gonna give it to Madeline McGraw from Black Phone because I want to see this girl go places. I love her. Yeah, there were a lot of great like um, kid performances this year. Like obviously all those kids in Black Phone, but then also like. The kids in Armageddon Time and the kids in um, Fablemans, the teens in Fablemans, also the bully in Fablemans. It's like the first movie he's ever been in and he just gives like a, he totally owns the movie for like one scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of great kid performances this year. Best first feature for a director. My nominees are Breaking, directed by Abby Damaris Corbin. Hawk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, directed by Adama Abo. The Outfit, directed by Graham Moore. We're All Going to the World's Fair, directed by Jane Schoenbrunn. And Mad God, directed by a young upstart named Phil Tippett. (laughs) (laughs) I think that guy's going places. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of cool uh, first features this year, I felt like. Um, I mean, some of this stuff, you know, Honk for Jesus had like a a wide theatrical release and like i you know was able to see several of these in theaters which was exciting um the outfit uh snuck its way onto my my top 20 list it's just like this really tight thriller um the other zoe deutsch and dylan o'brien movie this year that was really good uh but also mark rylance is doing like this really quiet work and he's doing this like you know, in Bones and all, he play, he has a super like bonkers off the wall performance, but like he he's also, you know, doing a lot with, with a much smaller performance in um I mean he's the main character, but a smaller performance in in, in the outfit. Um Breaking also really cool, great, great John Boyega performance in that. Um just, you know, this classic like dog day afternoon sort of thing where it's like this guy is sort of uh, on the brink and he's committing this crime and he doesn't really know what he's doing. And we're just sort of watching the whole thing unfold um, based on a true story, I believe. Um, yeah. And these are all, th- this is a tough category to pick a winner for. Um, I think I am going to give it to World's Fair just because I'm so excited to see what she does next. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically, as I was looking and like, trying to figure out my nominees for this category i knew i was just gonna give it to her for world's fair yeah because as a as a deep lover and appreciator of movies that specifically deal with sort of the back and forth between digital and not non-real spaces and real spaces and sort of moving between lenses it was it's just so exciting to see someone do something so fresh and unique with it because you know for every like movie that like searching where it's like okay we'll 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 do it through a screen that'll be new um we just don't see things like world's fair and i love it so i basically was like she wins um but i did want to give a shout out to eric appel who did weird because i i guess he's like a funnier die guy i don't know i don't know yeah well well, weird was a was a funnier die trailer before it was a movie yeah yeah like i don't know much about him but weird was great so yeah. Toss them in, in there. Supporting performance. Okay. My getting into the meat. Yeah, we're getting into the, the heavy hitters here. My ten nominees yeah. are John Bernthal, Sharp Stick, Brian Tyree Henry, Causeway, Nicole Kidman, The Northman, Lashana Lynch, The Woman King, and Matilda the Musical. 
Janelle Monet, Glass Onion. Kristen Stewart, Crimes of the Future. Jeremy Strong, Armageddon Time. John Turturro, The Batman. Rita Wilson, Kimmy. And Stephen Young, Nope. Obviously, the performance categories are always a whole thing. <laughs> um, yeah. We have Bernthal and Sharpstick, the other Lena Dunham movie this year, which um, I really liked the film and, you know, think think it's underrated. But, like, Bernthal's performance uh, as the guy who – as the married guy who this, this sexually stunted girl that's our main character sleeps with, um, he – I you know, Bernthal – has has done a lot of great like action performances and stuff, but like this was such a unique like comedic kind of pathetic role for him that I think he just does beautifully. Um, uh, Brian Tyree Henry and Causeway, I think he's just one of the most magnetic guys working right now, and he's he's always subtly playing like such different characters, and you know in in, in Causeway it's just it, he just always finds a new mode in ways that I think are cool Nicole Kidman in The Northman you know she she's there at the beginning and you're like did they waste Nicole Kidman and then she comes back at the end with just this stunning monologue this incredible uh absurd sort of turn that she takes so great Lashana Lynch was like really good in, in No Time to Die. Has definitely been you know doing great stuff for a while, but like I feel like she really stands out in Woman King as this sort of mentor figure, this sort of secondary um, protagonist with our um, with with the kid who's sort of this intermediary between the kid and the Viola Davis character, and then in Matilda the Musical doing this completely, you know, she's playing this very hardened character in the Woman King, and then this just just you know this this lovely like. Obviously, it's a, you know, singing and dancing kind of movie, but she's also just this really, like, <laughs> sweet character in that. Um, Janelle with the dual roles in Glass Onion, very fun. Kristen Stewart, Crimes of the Future, just stunning. Just just unbelievably good. Uh, playing off of some of the things she was kind of criticized for in Twilight and just sort of ratcheting them up to, like, incredible success. Yeah. Jeremy Strong in Armageddon Time, uh, great cast throughout that movie, but I feel like he really nails it. And, uh, you know, we were talking about John Hamm earlier. It's so rare for these, like, guys who are doing, like, really acclaimed work on TV to make that transition to film well. People often don't know what to do with them, and this is a character who's very different from his character on Succession, but so well done, I think. Um, Totoro and the Batman, uh... A less showy performance than again your Dano, your Pattinson, your your Farrell, but like every I watched that movie like three times, and every time I was just like, man, Turturro is really good in this. Yeah, he's having a great year between that and uh, oh, what's the Apple Plus show? Severance. Severance. Thank you. I don't have Apple Plus, so I yeah. Again, two. I, I, I again two totally different performances that are both yeah. stunning. Stephen Yun in Nope, uh, again, I'm mostly thinking of one monologue, and it's the monologue where he is describing an SNL sketch. Yes. So perfectly done, just like you could, just just like the trauma and the defiance in in, in how he does it. It's such a funny character, but he's, you know, so much pathos also. Rita Wilson in Kimmy, uh, this performance from early in the year, you know, Rita Wilson is not someone who's really talked about among, like, great actors like that, but she has like one extended scene and is like the you know the 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 sort of manager at this giant corporation who is like 
you know, seems supportive at first, but is actually stabbing Kimmy in the back, uh, st- uh, stabbing the main character in the back. Kimmy is the virtual assistant, but uh, <laughs> she j- j- just this, you know, does this incredible turn and again, such a one scene performance. Um, yeah, I the, the cameo category grew out of me acknowledging her as a one scene performance and keeping track of those throughout the year. And then I was like, she's just a great supporting performance and I'm going to change the one scene stuff to cameos because that's what most of them were. My two winners just on the spot here are going to be obviously Kristen Stewart and second one's a little harder. I'm going to say Nicole Kidman. I'm so glad Kristen Stewart has... Because, like, I have many complicated thoughts about Twilight, but I'm so glad that she has been able to keep a career going. Yeah. Because you know? there's so many people who would have taken all that hate from Twilight and just been like, I'm done. And being able that we still get to enjoy her talent, I'm so happy for that. Yeah, and it's interesting how, you know, I was talking about how she's sort of playing off of, like, the stuff she got clammed for in Twilight. I feel like Pattinson also does that in, in The Batman, yeah. playing off the stuff from oh, Twilight. Yeah. I think they, you know... They're sort of reclaiming that that part of their careers this year. Which is fantastic. Yeah. My supporting performance is Colin Farrell for Batman. Sure. Uh, Nicholas Holt for The Menu. Mm-hmm. The Donkey from The Banshees. Yes. Um, I listed Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Terry Henry from Bullet Train. Okay. Because while it is in my least favorite category, like, it was a movie that I didn't like. Mm-hmm their storyline pulled me in so well they carried a movie that i otherwise wasn't that invested in and i just want i want brian tyree henry to get everything like i want i want him to be a lead when are we gonna get that yeah um isabella rossellini from marcel the shell absolutely probably my favorite performance of hers ever um and then i also wanted to give a shout out to stephen lang in avatar 2 yeah because he took a character that shouldn't be able... He did what um, Adam Driver was supposed to do in the Star Wars movies of, like, giving this horrible character redemption arc. And he actually... I don't know. Like, it doesn't totally work because it's not totally a redemption arc. Right. But I don't, he he evokes a performance that makes me care about a character that in the first movie is just supposed to be the most hated, horrible person on the planet. Yeah. Like, he, he does... It's not as big a change as... Arnold in the first Terminator to Arnold in T2, but I was impressed by how much I cared about his character by the end of the movie. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like he, I feel like Lang and Worthington both had these characters in the first movie where the performances felt sort of stuck and like there wasn't that much behind the eyes with them. And then they both sort of like heightened the performances, made them more cartoony almost, but like they were so much more compelling. Yeah. And then I just wanted to give a shout out to Dominic West in Down Abbey 2 mm-hmm. because he's magnetic and he's playing this like classic old school actor and he pulls off for someone who's not on screen for very much of the movie. He is one of the characters that I think about the most from the movie. And he's Dominic West is just another one of those actors that I love. He's one of my mom's favorite actors. And every time he pops up, I'm like, thank God you're here. You do such good work in everything. I love him in Pride. I love him in the Punisher movie that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of Burnfell. Yeah. Uh, love it. Um, I want to give Isabella Rossellini sure. the win. Yes. But I do also just... Nicholas Holt in the menu. 
is so good. He's so funny. He's so great. And I love Nicholas Holt. I've always loved Nicholas Holt from when I first saw him in X-Men First Class. And he, it just, it holds together some of the more wacky scenes. Because it just cuts back to this guy who just does not care. Yeah. And it, I don't know, it like grounds a lot of the absurdity of that movie. Yeah, it's interesting, the the Rosalini performance in Marcel the Shell. I also considered Isabella Johnny's performance in uh, Peter Von Kant this year, too. So it's like, there are people that I get confused a little bit sometimes, but they both, oh, yeah. you know, had these great performances this year. I get my Jeffs mixed up all the time. Oh, for sure. Jeff Bridges and Jeff, the other ones, I don't know. Jeff Daniels, yeah. Yes, Jeff Daniels and Jeff Bridges, I'm constantly confusing. Yeah, they're very similar guys. <laughs> although although daniels uh, is usually a lot more intense but <laughs> they sort of uh yeah they live right next to each other in my brain yeah they live they live right next to each other in california um uh, my <laughs> <laughs> my lead performance nominees kate blanchett in tar austin butler in elvis viola davis in the woman king colin farrell in the banshees of inisherin brandon fraser in the whale Mia Goth in Pearl, Regina Hall in Master, and Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, Kiki Palmer in Nope, Tangwe in Decision to Leave, and Michelle Yeoh in Everything Everywhere All at Once. I feel like Yo was like, a, there was someone else I was thinking of putting there, and then I was like, I gotta give it to Yo because what, yeah. what she's doing in Everything Everywhere, it's such a great layered performance, and then like... You walk out of the movie and you go watch a Michelle Yeoh interview and you're like, wow, she is like totally immersed in a totally different character. And yet playing off of her own past in, you know, the the martial arts sequences and in the, you know, the 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 reality where she's like this this big Hollywood actress. Um, yeah, really, really incredible stuff she's doing in that movie. Uh, I think the whole cast is good, but she's definitely the standout for me. Um Blanchette and Tar, just this really magnanimous kind of like you're not going to forget this performance. And Blanchette has had like so many of those by this point that it's kind of crazy. Yeah. But she's doing something completely new in Tar um, that she that you know has so much like the, the, there's so much layering to it. Just like the the dedication and the fear and the self importance and all that. Butler and Elvis, again, just so magnetic, so nailing this, like, not doing an impression of Elvis, but, like, creating a character that yeah. that feels like Elvis. Yeah. Davis and the Woman King, great stuff. Uh, she is always incredible, but I feel like, and just such a magnetic screen presence, but I feel like she's also just, like, you know wrestling with this really complex stuff, playing, like, this leader figure who, it, it, you know, is sort of, like, getting these these chips in her armor but like it, it is like you know has these ambitions also it's like a really layered performance feral and banshees so yeah. heartbreaking so incredible um just just great stuff just again like like he's always raising the bar but 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 you know in banshees it's like this is this is this is what i want from him Fraser in the Whale, I already talked about, just like a a, a stunning performance in a dog shit movie. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. he is he, just like, it's a character that's so easy to fuck up and gets fucked up by the movie in so many ways. But he is just so genuine with how like 
you know, this character has this mix of, like, you know, self-deprecation, but also sort of optimism about the world. Um, And Fraser is just so... Just, just, just so heartfelt about it, and obviously, there's really soulful uh, actor, especially now. But um, stunning performance, yeah. And it, it's, it's so at, added to just from it being Brendan Fraser, yeah. Like the fact that it is this guy who we haven't seen in so long, coming out of the woodworks and delivering this performance. Like it's impossible to separate the performer from the performance. Totally. Mia Goth in Pearl, again, just that unbroken, like, ten-minute monologue near, near the end it just blew me away. And, like, the, you know, as the credits roll and she's, like, standing there smiling and conveying so much with just that. And, you know, that's even forgetting all the other stuff throughout the movie, the progression to her sort of snapping at the end. I, I mean, doing incredible work there. And obviously she's great in everything else she did this year. Um yeah. Yeah. Reg- Regina Hall with two very different performances in Master and Hunk for Jesus, but also these, you know, these two women who sort of have to, are in these positions of authority where they they feel like they have no choice but to, you know, stiff upper lip and, 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 and try to, like, represent an institution that they don't necessarily feel like they should be representing. Um, but then Master being a horror movie and her just, you know, doing this great horror work uh very you know different from her older horror work obviously but like uh and then in hog for jesus again this transition from like this this sort of mockumentary comedy thing to this really intense drama she also has a great monologue near the end of that movie when she's like you know in like mime makeup trying to <laughs> try trying to sell people <laughs> on this church that's going through this scandal just incredible stuff palmer and nope so great just a great great lead performance with like some some meat on the bones but also just like we've been you know the the kiki palmer has been this pitch for so long and now she finally gets this big lead role and totally crushes it yeah uh tangway and decision to leave uh one of the things i really like about decision to leave is the way that it sort of plays off of this femme fatale figure and having her be sort of obsessed with the detective to the same extent that he's obsessed with her uh, this really sort of enigmatic character, and we're obviously seeing it from the detective's point of view, but we sort of see how, like, unhinged she is as the film goes on. Uh, this is one where, like, I do feel like I have to on-the-spot it a little bit, because there's... The four for me are Blanchett, Butler, Fraser, and Palmer. Those are the four that are sticking out to me, but to just pick two in this moment, I'm gonna say uh, Austin Butler and Kate Blanchett. Yeah, I, my, my nominees yes. are Mia Goth for X and Pearl, mm-hmm. I think, across two movies playing technically two characters, but really three characters mm-hmm. of like Young Pearl, Old Pearl, and Maxine, and everyone feels separate and feels unique, but also feels so connected like, I think Mia Goth is just a powerhouse. Yes. And I love her. I didn't even realize that it was her playing Pearl in X until the credits rolled. Mm-hmm. I spent the whole movie being like, who is this random old lady? Like, what? But it's her acting through so much prosthetics, which is very hard to do. And Colin Farrell did it also in Batman. Did a great job. Um, I just, I love Mia Goth. And she, 
she just stole my heart this year. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Daniel Radcliffe and Weird. He gives such an unhinged performance, and he's so good at that. Yeah. And I'm so glad that he's found his niche between, you know, Guns Akimbo and Swiss Army Man and Weird. He just, like, he's the guy you go to when you need someone to just, like, be screaming and crazy and sweaty, and he does it so well. Yeah, we need him um, in, like, a... Like 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 any sort of Al Pacino type role, I feel like I feel yes. like that's where he would really excel. Yes, and again with both Weird and Elvis, it's playing such an iconic, famous person, but doing it in a way that that it doesn't become caught up in a impersonation. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin Farrell and Banshees. I had both Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer down for Nope mm-hmm. because I was so impressed with. Daniel Kalu is just so li- so little through like yeah. almost no dialogue, such little like given from the script. He has such presence in the entire movie. Yes, Kaluuya um, is I think one of the best actors alive today, and I feel like in in no piece playing like like again, there's very little talking. It's very like closed off character, but it's a very specific kind of like American guy that he's playing yeah. yeah and he's he's so like and he's you know obviously played a lot of americans but but like it, it, he he just totally sells like like this specific archetype that's that's really hard to nail yeah my favorite thing that jordan peele said about that character was that basically all he wants to do is raise his horses like he does not care about any of this other stuff and there's something so down to earth about that that elevates everything else in the movie like everything else is so absurd that just having this guy who through it all undeniably you know all he wants to do is work with his horses mm-hmm. um and then i of course michelle Yeoh. she yeah. plays everything like it's yeah. sort of like the x movies are for me a goth i feel like everything ever at once is just giving this actress the ability to just do everything and completely show off and thank god i think i'm gonna give it to colin farrell sure because, like, Banshees is a very hard-hitting movie, but Colin Farrell's performance and that his character specifically hits so close to home for me. He gets across, as someone who is very often the dull friend, uh, or the, who has so many, I just have so many fears that are, that are spoken to through that character. Yeah. And he captured them so beautifully. And so heartbreakingly. And like you you can see the shift in that movie when he shifts from sort of pre-donkey, post-donkey, you know? Yeah. And it it's palpable. Yeah. Like it's so it's so powerful. And I've I've been rooting for him for so long. And I'm very happy that he's getting like this attention. So yeah, totally feral all the way. Cool. So that brings us to um the director nominees. Mm-hmm. My five nominees are Damien Chazelle, Babylon, Baz Luhrmann, Elvis, George Miller, 3,000 Years of Longing, Park Chan Wook, Decision to Leave, Gina Prince Bythewood, The Woman King. There were really so many, like, big directors, I, I mean, directors I love and, and I just, you know, legends. Um, sort of, sort of coming to the table this year. There's so much stuff where it's like, 
Raimi, I think, for the parts that he directed in in Multiverse <laughs> yeah, of Madness, did the parts really, he was allowed to direct, did really great stuff, and and they really they really did let him direct a lot of it, to be honest with you. But um, there's you know obviously some stuff in there that's like you gotta check these boxes. Um, yeah, Cameron and Spielberg, and uh, just just you know a lot of a lot of big names, Cronenberg, just just all Michael these. Bay. <laughs> Michael Bay. I mean, I, I really did come close to putting Michael Bay in here. Um, yeah. All, all these big names that uh, I had to I had to leave out because it was just such a big year, and I ended up making space for Damien Chazelle. <laughs> it Listen. was it was so wild to me when you were talking about Downton Abbey: A New Era, and you were like, "Yeah, it's kind of playing off of Singing in the Rain," because Babylon is playing off of Singing in the Rain. It doesn't even begin to describe it. It's it's. The, the movie, I, I mean, this doesn't really give away what the ending is, but the movie ends with the main character going to see Singing in the Rain. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and, and, like, and like it's, it montages the scenes that are paralleled in earlier scenes of the movie. <laughs> like, it's like... <laughs> It, it, it's taking pastiche to a new level because it's not just singing in the rain, but it's like somehow also boogie nights and like do, doing all this Scorsese stuff as well. I mean, the sequence with Tobey Maguire, who came very close to being in my supporting category, that that sequence uh, that's like ten twenty minutes is like fully boogie nights all of a sudden. Um, yeah. But it's like I just just this such an energetic film. I feel like there were a lot of good like nearly three hour or over three hour movies this year. This one makes the best use of three hours, in my opinion. Like it's so dynamic and just just keeps moving. And even though I think the characters are not that like in depth, it's it's just you know going through this whole history and it feels like it builds to this 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 insane climate. Like the last four minutes of this movie are just just like you can't believe he's getting away with it um <laughs> the other ones on here uh park sean wook i've sort of already talked about just you know this 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 master who's doing this you know somewhat more subdued there's not like you know vampires or murder conspiracies or shit like that in this movie but it's like this 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 real tight detective neo-noir thriller that that is just you know, so well done and so heartfelt, but so like dynamic at the same time. Um, Baz Luhrmann, Elvis, it yeah. like like with Michael Bay, it feels it feels insane to say this is like they're 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 letting Baz Luhrmann loose, but like he he's never gone bigger than he has in this movie. It's yeah. complete visual anarchy, um, <laughs> just just like so many crazy movies and, and like. Babylon is bug nuts, but in a way that you don't necessarily clock until you're thinking about it afterwards. Elvis is like, in the first two minutes, you're like, I can't believe they're letting me see this. <laughs> yeah, no. The, the thing that got me was when they're driving by the casino, and on the side it says, like, the Star Trek experience. Yeah. And then it, we see the Enterprise yeah. from Star Trek fly <laughs> into Tom Hanks' eye. Yeah. Within the first five minutes of the movie. And I was like, what is what in the world is happening yeah when it's like that and then like he gets up in the hospital bed like no and then he's walking around the casino with the with the like uh the iv bag that's when i turned to my friend and i was like is this the best movie of all time (laughs) yeah yeah it's like in um in your best films of the year list you compared it to speed racer yeah it's like i love i love that yeah and it's 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 that it's just 
someone being given the budget of a blockbuster and then given the power of an auteur to just yeah. do whatever. And I love that. Nothing ever tops that for me. It's similar to how I feel about Malignant. Like, Malignant, for me, is like James Wan's, like, auteur with a blockbuster budget. And that's why I love it so much. It's really what we love to see. And that's my thing with Babylon is, like, I don't feel like it's Chazelle's speed racer, but it proved to me that he has a speed racer in it. (laughs) Someday. We can only hope. Um, And then George Miller, 3,000 Years of Longing, just like... I love him. Adore Miller. I, I, you know, this is like, um, such a such a small scale movie in theory, and that it's like two two people talking in a room for 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 a lot of it, but is just like so much of this classic off the wall Miller shit. I love just like the 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 way that his stories move is so unique. Like they just you know hit you right away and this one it's like she's you know in 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 turkey and she's just seeing ghouls immediately seeing like a little guy (laughs) trying to take her luggage and um it's the way that it moves through these 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 periods in history i think is really cool i really like the last act of this movie which is kind of polarizing the most just in that it sort of ties together this whole thing of like her being a narratologist, him being this representative of like ancient history and then her sort of bringing him to England and him sort of immediately dying as, as, as all beautiful things do when they're brought to England. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the ending, this, this, this thing where she has to like set him free and let him be this sort of fictional thing in order for him to really thrive, but then they can still see each other. It just, just a lot of stuff stuff going on in that movie but i think i might have to give this to gina prince bythewood for the woman king because again she is just she she's the consummate filmmaker that that you sort of dream what a dream of like like she she makes these dramas and and woman king is like a this big action movie viola davis you know made a bunch of money still at its core a drama and this this perfect kind of old school drama where like it is funny and it does have like moments that you cheer for but like what's really gripping about it is the characters and the the sort of narrative they're going through i think she's like one of the greats and even when she's doing like the old guard which was you know even more so an an action movie like there's just such a such such a heart to it and such a you know character driven thing to it so yeah, uh, my winner in that category is Gina. Okay. My nominees are T. West for X and Pearl. Sure. James Cameron for Avatar 2. I couldn't sure. leave out my man. The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm-hmm. Martin McDew? M- M- McDonough? McDonough. McDonough. Thank you. I'm Irish. I should know these things. I don't. <laughs> um, for Banshees. And then Baz Luhrmann for Elvis. Yeah. Um. I just love directors that create what they want. Yeah. And I feel like all of these directors are people who knew what they wanted to do and then they did it. Um, for for various reasons, all across the budget range. I don't I think this list also probably just shows how much I love like bombastic filmmaking. Yeah, I often say that my best director category is really a most director category. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause, you know, Everything that he makes hits so hard, and it leaves you feeling so like a crater of depression afterwards. Yeah, he's such a master at it. You know, he is. like 
in Bruges, I only saw it once and it haunts me. Three billboards, I only saw it once and it haunts me. And now Banshees <laughs> is going to haunt me forever. Um, Have you seen Seven Psychopaths? I, I haven't. That's one that I'm missing. That was just kind of fun, but, <laughs> but yeah. And yeah, T. West just being like, oh, I made a movie. Let's make another one for funsies. Mm-hmm. And then making like this incredible like melodrama horror thriller mm-hmm. thing, like out of thin air. Yeah. it. I could not give him some kind of attention. I think it's down to the Daniels or Baz Luhrmann because it's both just movies that are visually everywhere, but that's, yeah, like you were saying, hold themselves together. Mm-hmm. Like they, they go everywhere, but they're also always tying back to like something simple. Yeah. That, I mean, with, with everything everywhere, it's like what I love most about that movie. And there are some things I don't like about that movie, but like the fact that, the the story at its core is just like this this middle aged small business owner goes to, go, is is like dealing with taxes and throwing a party and yeah. Th- yeah, like, yeah yeah and then with Elvis I think on the second watch I really paid attention to how like cohesively that story flows and how it like starts with this huge burst of activity and then it like fades to a little dot at the end and just like it it, it it's it's a starred sort of burnt out. And, and I think yeah. it's done so effectively. Yeah. And especially with a story that so many people know. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't a biopic about a, like, little-known star. This is Elvis. Yeah. There have been a, so many other actors have done this. The, the, everywhere you look, there's going to be a list of, like, oh, top five Elvis performances. Mm-hmm. And he manages to pull something unique and new out of it in a way that I haven't seen since Bubba Hotep. Which, have you ever seen Bubba Hotep? Yeah. Yeah, like... My other favorite Elvis movie Definitely. for many reasons. I think I think I'm just going to give it to Baz Luhrmann because, yeah. like, it, it's clearly a labor of love for something that he cares about, and I just love that. And I love, I don't know. This is the kind of thing where probably by tomorrow I'll be like, oh, I can't believe I gave it to Baz. But right now I'm feeling it. Yeah, give it to Baz. I'm sure I'll feel like I should have given it to Baz at some point. Might as well. It's your award, so you can take it away. Yeah, give it to someone else. Throw it around, whatever. With, um, except that it's recorded, but, uh, with, with Best Picture, I have ten nominees. I'm gonna go through nine of them because the tenth one I sort of went back and forth on, and there's, like, five that didn't make it in that I want to, like, note. But my, uh, my nominees are Babylon, The Banshees of Indusharan, Crimes of the Future, Decision to Leave, Elvis, Tar, 3,000 Years of Longing, We're All Going to the World's Fair, The Woman King. That's my nine. The tenth at this moment, I'm going to give to uh, everything everywhere all at once. But the five that could, on another day, be that tenth spot are Bardo, Fablemans, Mad God, Nope, and Pearl. And actually, I'm deciding right now. I'm giving it to Fablemans instead. Um, so, so those are my ten. It, it just, just substitute everything everywhere for Fablemans. Um, <laughs> so. In terms of which one I'm going to give it to, uh, I've I've talked about most of these movies. I haven't really talked about Fablemans, which is a film that I think I still need to process for like a couple years before I know how I feel about it. But um, I think it really speaks to the like you know Spielberg has his reputation for being this very like sentimental and sort of happy-go-lucky filmmaker and i think this film really breaks down some of the stuff we've seen before in terms of like how emotional and uncomfortable his his films can be but it's like to to the extent of being like 
this this Freudian sort of sort of psychosexual. It's it's almost it, it's a love letter to filmmaking, but it's also kind of a hate letter to filmmaking, and how it like sort of tore his family apart. And there's there's the the scene where he you know he, the parents are telling him that they're getting divorced for the, telling the kids that they're getting divorced for the first time, and he looks into the mirror and sees himself shooting that scene. That yeah, it, it's yeah. I mean, just a really emotional film, a great drama. Um, something that you could definitely go back to and find all kinds of different things. And all these great, like I talked about the David Lynch performance, but there's also Judd Hirsch who does incredible work in one scene in this movie. Jeannie Berlin, who 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 plays a grandmother, I was just so excited to see her, and she's in like two scenes in this movie. Um, and these kids who I already talked about who do incredible things throughout. Um, but yeah, that's that's just a really like moving and cool film and i love like that moment was one of them there are a couple of really really unforgettable moments where like spielberg sort of looks at the camera like or looks from behind the camera and says you know this is about me that 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 i think are really cool um and i've definitely talked about uh the rest of these quite a bit um i think my i mean crime for the future i haven't super talked about um cronenberg uh, has, you know, sort of had this, 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 like, great, like, 80s horror thing, and then transitioned into the more, more, like, dramatic movies with, um, uh, History of Violence, and went, went on this great run of those, and now I think I've sort of taken the lessons from those back into body horror, uh, in Crimes mm-hmm. of the Future, which is just this really, like, sort of comfortable drama, this really, like, moody piece that, like, despite all the body horror shit that's happening the whole time, it's just, like, this is a nice place to be. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm so glad Cronenberg's back because yeah. we need body horror. We yes. need movies to be able to, like, be gross again. Yeah, Like, I, it, like it's that simple. It's just, like, movies aren't kids movies aren't allowed to be gross anymore adult movies aren't allowed to be gross anymore and it it's so like antiseptic totally so give give me the weird crap yeah i feel like we've got this with cronenberg and with uh titan in 2021 and with um uh bones and all this year which was like i it was it was even knowing it was a cannibal movie going in i was pleasantly surprised by how freaky it was um i fully did not know it was about cannibalism i thought it was about vampires i still haven't seen it but yeah i continue to learn more about it it's a cannibal movie um and i feel like there's well cronenberg's doing another movie i feel like there's something i heard about that someone was doing a body horror thing um but yeah lots of exciting stuff happening there obviously cronenberg's kid is also making uh (laughs) cool movies too he's got one coming out this month but um yeah, the rest of these I definitely talked about. Uh, I think still my still my number one is Elvis. Uh, just uh, again, pure pure anarchy, pure pure filmmaking. The best looking movie in recent memory. One of the best performances in recent memory. Um, yeah, just 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 everything firing on all cylinders with Elvis. I feel like this is going to be anticlimactic now that I do final best picture. Because I've not seen nearly as many of the films this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we go. Sure. Uh, my nominees are Banshees of Inishirin, Marcel the Shell, X, The Menu, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I've lost track of how many I did. I think it was five. Elvis. Mm-hmm. Nope. Mm-hmm. Top Gun Maverick. Because okay. why the hell not? 
your list. I am yeah, such I mean, a... You are probably I'm... with the Academy on that, but, 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 but it, you know, it could be yours. I am such a diehard fan of 80s style genre action movies. Like, I, I've seen everything Arnold Schwarzenegger did up until, like, his governorship, basically. And then there's some post-governorship stuff I haven't gotten to yet. But, like, I just, I love big budget, huge genre, like, nasty movies. Yeah. And Top Gun Maverick was the first one that I've seen in ages. Because we've been getting all of these, like, 80s nostalgia trip movies for years now. And Maverick was the first one that felt authentic to the area, era it was trying to recreate including all the like fucked up politics right but there was something so reassuring to me or not reassuring but comforting to actually feel like i'm watching a movie that is inspired by and coming out of that era of the of filmmaking instead of just like tossing visual cues at me yeah because we we, we've hit this point where like we're you know the, the the like 80s aesthetic has become like uh an imprint of an imprint of an imprint of like yeah. an idea of an 80s aesthetic where like you watch you watch ghostbusters afterlife and you're like this is clearly trying to do an 80s thing but there's nothing 80s about this at all yeah. um and yeah. Ma- maverick instead of like seeking a, a, an aesthetic connection is just like what if we made like a a kind of smaller scale action movie that was sort of a drama and just just you know had a had a, a tight singular story and that would be like the 80s yeah because that's literally like that's what predator is that's yeah. what the thing is like i think it's not really an action movie but like the good action movies of the 80s are like that it's right really simple black and white morality for better or worse and then like highly performative like gender performances mm-hmm. and like you got you simplify things down, and that's why those movies last so well because people love that simple narrative. It's a it's a myth more than it's like a complex story. And Maverick was the first movie that I feel like actually gets that. The Expendables movies also kind of did, but the politics of the Expendables movies are worse. Um, if if you want to watch the Expendables, the second one's the best one. Um, but yeah, just as a lover of the genre and as someone who has like studied like 80s action and just just loves action blockbusters and has been so disappointed with everything that's come out of action blockbusters for like years now. Maverick was a brush of breath air, fresh air. I don't think it deserves best picture, but I'm going to throw it in there with these other ones. Right. Um, and by the same discourse, why not Batman? Yeah. I think Batman was, again, it's just, it's taking a genre that's so overdone at this point but can be so cool and say such interesting things and is actually elevating it in a way that no one's done in ages. Yeah. Since like 2004, I feel like is less than we, I've really like maybe some of the early MCU stuff was fun, but it wasn't like a great, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just I, thinking, I'm just thinking back to like a couple of the other, like, dc because i do like a lot of the dc movies, but i really do think oh, it's yeah. been since like i've kind of turned around on joker recently also but um that, that that's another story but i feel like uh <laughs> yeah i mean really you know for for someone to, i mean you know not counting joker however you feel about it uh but someone doing like something so self-contained and thoughtful and like putting filmmaking first yeah. i definitely feel like we haven't seen that since like i don't know spider-man or something <laughs> like, like yeah, it's been a like, while 
Sam Raimi's Spider-Man is still the gold standard for me when it comes to especially family-friendly superhero movies because there have been some more intense stuff that I really loved since then. Like, um, oh, well, I really like Daredevil, but like the Ben Affleck Daredevil. <laughs> right. Listen, li- an episode, of, we could talk about that. Let's do it. Two hours. I love that movie. Let's do um, it. And... I don't know. I'm also very biased in the fact that I've always been a lifelong Batman fan, and this is the Batman movie that I've always wanted mm-hmm. since I got into the character, and yeah. we just never have. I just love how much of a freak Batman is in this movie. Yes. <laughs> and we finally get that. Like, yeah. like, Michael Keaton's Batman is a huge weirdo. Yeah. And my number one Batman, my Bruce Wayne, is always going to be Kevin Conroy. Rest in peace. It's tragedy that we lost him this year. But... When you're talking about live-action Batman, yeah, give me the weirdos. Like, Robert Pattinson was brilliant as a casting, both as stunt casting and as legit actual his ability. Mm -hmm. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think X is my favorite movie of the whole year. And really, I usually do these sorts of things by just what my enjoyment was. Yeah. I think the Academy's a bit silly. So I really think I want to give it to X. Just out of shits and gigs. Was it the most well-made movie this year? No. Was it the best movie I saw this year? Probably not. But it is still my favorite. It is the one that I left the theater being the most excited about the power of cinema, I feel like. Yeah. I, I like I, how I like how um, thoughtful X is, you know? And I, I, I think Pearl is thoughtful, too. But there's just something about... Um, uh, you know, it's just it's it's just sort of a rumination on horror as much as it is a horror movie itself, and I think that's interesting. Yeah, and it like when it started out, I was concerned it was going to be too much of a Texas Chainsaw like send up because there's so much early in X that's like directly taken from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is a movie that I love. But it was able to pave its own path, like it was able to connect to history and create like we were talking about before, like this entirely new beloved franchise out of nothing. Yeah. Doesn't feel like anything else really. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to give it to X because it just, it's the movie that won my year personally. And there are awards. So I'm just, I'm deeming it X. Cool. So, um, this has already been like a, like a two and a half hour episode. Uh, so we can wrap things up. Yeah. No, no, we, we love to see it. Um, yeah, good year for movies. Uh, the the Oscar season is starting pretty soon, so I'm going to be yeah. you know giving occasional updates on that on the show. So it'll be more time to talk about that later. Um, yeah, thanks for coming. Absolutely, anytime. If you uh, thank to anyone who's, who's listened this far, thank you for listening. If you like the show, yeah. you can subscribe and share and you know rate or like or whatever on wherever you're listening to it. Um and yeah, I'll see y'all in two weeks. I should stop saying see y'all next week because there it's not weekly now. But uh yeah, there you go. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. I disagree.